0: Welcome to The Wall of Soundtrack, a show where we discuss the music and soundtracks behind the very best TV shows and motion pictures. In this episode, we'll be analyzing and discussing the music and soundtrack behind David Simon's epic HBO crime drama series, The Wire. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Nadia Foucher Massage. Nadia is a massage therapist in the DC metro area with over 13 years of experience helping clients reduce stress and chronic pain. Nadia provides a variety of massages ranging from deep tissue, Swedish, and prenatal, and other services including aroma, reflexology, and stone therapy. Nadia also provides her services to private businesses and companies to help with stress management for their most important assets, their employees. I've also been a client of Nadia's for over 10 years, and I can honestly say she's helped relieve the chronic pain and stress in my neck, upper body, and lower back. As a result, she's helped reduce my stress levels and improve my overall mental health. When I go to Nadia, I come out of the massage feeling like a new person. To schedule an appointment, visit www.nadiafmassage.com or call 301-651-3877. That's 301-651-3877. Hey guys, before we start the episode, I will be releasing new Bluetoon podcast episodes as well as new album and book reviews, so stay tuned for the new content. This content's also available on iTunes and Podbean as well, so if you don't mind, please leave me a quick review, and I hope you enjoy the episode. The Wire is a crime drama television series that was created by David Simon. The show aired on HBO for five seasons, from 2002 to 2008. The Wire takes place in Baltimore, Maryland. The show covers a variety of characters and subject matter on institutions ranging from law enforcement, seaports, politics, education, and print news reporting. The Wire received a variety of praises and accolades from critics, even including former U.S. President Barack Obama. The show also won a Peabody Award for season two. The series also had an excellent cast of actors and actresses, including the following, Dominic West as Jimmy McNulty, Larry Gilliard Jr. as D'Angelo Barksdale, Lance Riddick as Cedric Daniels, Wood Harris as Avon Barksdale, Idris Elba as Russell Stringer Bell, Wendell Pierce as Bunk Moreland, Michael K. Williams as Omar Little, Clark Peters as Lester Freeman, Sonja Son as Kima Greggs, and Andre Royo as Bubbles. The Wire also cast a variety of real-life public figures, including the following former Maryland governor, Robert Ehrlich, former Baltimore police chief and radio personality, Ed Norris, and former Baltimore drug criminal, Little Melvin Williams. My returning guest for this discussion is Cy Shackeford. Cy is a writer for the entertainment commentary and review website, Action A Go Go. You can follow his articles on the website, www.actionagogo.com, and you can also follow him on Twitter. His Twitter handle is at shack underscore house 83. We also have another returning guest, Joey Bonskowski. Joey joined us for our discussion on the music and soundtrack behind Ted Demi's film, Blow. We had a great time doing the episode, and we had a blast doing this one as well. Here's my discussion with Cy and Joey on the music and soundtrack behind David Simon's crime drama television series, The Wire. (laughs)
1: Thanks for joining me again. I'm happy to be here. Very happy to be here, especially for this one, Andrew.
0: Joey, thanks for joining me as well.
2: Yeah, man, of course.
0: So uh Cy, what's what's new in your in your realm?
2: Let me stop both of you right there. Okay. Are you guys taking notes on a criminal conspiracy?
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs>
0: is that a good old stringer bell quote there?
2: Or? Oh yeah, it is. I'm, d- I'm done. I'll just hang up now.
0: <laughs> Are you going to tell me you're taking notes on a motherfucking criminal conspiracy? None of y'all can
1: say it right. I'm the only person in here that can say it right. Nigga, is you taking I notes know. on a criminal fucking conspiracy? fuck is you thinking, man?
2: <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I knocked it out of the park from the beginning, so we should just wrap it up there. I'll talk to you guys later.
0: Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> si, what's going on with uh, Action A Go-Go?
1: uh we're still covering san diego comic-con it's been on for three days now and covering all the pop culture events not just marvel but everything that's been coming out of there this weekend like uh like
2: top gun maverick
1: yes except there's no Iceman in there and i'm waiting to see him um westworld season three they finally debuted the trailer for that what else? Hustlers. they had given
2: us a teaser
1: during um, game of thrones too a little bit with a dude from a breaking bad aaron paul yeah
0: dude the new top gun trailer looks freaking awesome man
1: I mean, oh my god i'm just i'm all in i mean i'm gonna see it definitely i mean everybody knows my rule against seeing sequels more than 10 years after the fact but this one i will make an exception
0: Dude, I mean, I wonder who's directing this because it looks like it almost looks like Tony Scott. It looks a lot like Tony Scott's,
1: you know, signature style. Yeah, it does. Ty, who is directing it? I do not. I cannot recall offhand. All I know is that Tom Cruise, Ed Harris and Jennifer Conley. They're in the film.
0: Yeah, the Ed Harris role definitely super excited me when I saw that. I was like, you know, because he's just he's just such a, a great actor.
2: Uh, I mean this is, this is like just quintessential Faye Bruckheimer from back in the day
1: Bruckheimer Jerry Simpson <laughs> yeah. I'm yeah. just
2: so so stoked I watched the show I made my wife watch it like four times
0: <laughs> and it's got that like n- new modern type of theme song you know like it's still the same but it just sounds a little different like a little more synths and
1: uh, yeah they updated the Harold Faltemeyer version of the original Top Gun theme music
0: So, yeah, I'm super excited, man. It looks awesome. Um, I
2: I know we've gone completely off topic, but wasn't that Kenny Loggins? Didn't he do the majority of the Top Gun soundtrack?
1: A lot of it, yeah. He did uh, uh, the Danger Zone, Playing with the Boys, Um, Mighty Wings. That was Cheap Trick. Now, Kenny Loggins only did like two or three songs in the soundtrack, actually, but his were the most popular ones because how frequently they were used in the movie.
2: Uh, it's just so wonderful. Just vintage Tom Cruise. All I need now is for him to be in another courtroom movie and my world will just be, uh, just my <laughs> life will be complete.
1: Yeah, you'll have a few good men there. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so let's jump into the wire, guys. I mean, this this show, epic.
1: It, it still has excellent replay value, even 11 years after it ended. I mean, and I'm not just saying that because you, myself, Andrew, and Joey are all natives of the state of Maryland. And how it resonates for us, but the story, how layered, densely layered everything is, it's like literature brought to life.
0: Yeah, and and the subject matter. I mean, I've never seen a show cover the amount of topics and subject matter like this one does. I mean, it's incredible. They cover crime. They cover, you know... The, the, the docks and, and the ports and then education, you know. City
2: hall, the politics. Yeah. The newspapers,
1: and, too. It's like they just delved into all those institutions with a level of realism that's not seen in most dramas.
2: I mean, they touch on all of that, but there's also kind of like the socioeconomic backdrop, which is something that David Simon has always. I mean, like when he did that kind of reverse interview with Obama, he, they, they had a lot to talk about that, where it was just like this is this was created because of the conditions. And so, I mean, it was, it was incredibly layered, incredibly deep. And, you know, I mean, I think that the other kind of weird thing about it is is that it kind of has cult classic mentality, because while it was, you know, incredibly well critically reviewed, it didn't have the audience of like a Sopranos, which was, you know, what a lot of people consider to be like the, the beginning of the golden age of television which is something i know we talked a little bit about last time but you know this this really existed through word of mouth more than an hbo marketing campaign that you see you know they didn't have so, you know the things plaster all over the subways and on the sides of buses i mean this really was word of mouth and they had to fight to get every single season like after season two or three
1: to get him to keep going. Yeah, because after season three ended in 2004, they didn't come back on until season with season four until 2006. And you're right about it being word of mouth, Joey, because I didn't know about it. Uh, it came out when I was in college, and I didn't know about it until my parents and a few of my cousins started talking to me about it. And after successful prodding, that's when I decided to catch it for myself, and I was hooked.
0: Yeah, the same for me. I feel like, I mean, I, I heard about it from one of my uh, high school friends, but I was still in college and the show really takes i think a lot, a little bit of effort to get involved in just because the the, the episodes are about an hour and um and they're it, from a, and
1: they're from a state that most people don't really care about maryland <laughs> yeah and not the, new york or cali
0: the subject matter too i think is it can be a little rough and it, it's a show that makes you think you know you just can't sit there and kind of uh, doze off and then you know come back to it you have to be following the the you know the scenes and and the storyline to kind of fully understand it.
1: And as dramatic as the show was, really, it wasn't It wasn't overblown. And by that, I mean, there wasn't any, like, background score or anything like that, like you see in a Law & Order episode or something like that. And that added to his realism, I thought.
0: Yeah, definitely. Well,
2: two 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 quick points, because George Pelicanos, who kind of penned this with Simon, they've been running buddies forever, you know, he's got a... I mean, like, if you go back and read some of his novels, I mean, he has been writing these types of stories forever. And he's a D.C. native. So, I mean, he kind of has the area, you know, he knows some of the the subtleties of the accents and the slang and and things that, you know, we used to say in middle school. So, I mean, it had that, that it, it was very authentic. But I think, you know, just when you dive a little bit, like, further into, like, casting, I mean, it it couldn't have been done better. I listened to an entire, entire podcast on the woman who did the, the the casting for these shows and where they found people, and it was I mean, it was just unbelievable the lightning that they were able to strike. But Sai, you mentioned Law and Order and just kind of that that formulaic version of the crime show. But the the crazy thing is when you go back and look at these shows. These people were all from like the main characters were all people from that like version of casting. So you had all of those people who were in Oz and then they were in the wire and then they were in Law and Order SVU. It was kind of like the precursor to the HBO bench where they're just like constantly recycling their characters. Rotation, so this yeah. was like one of the this was one of the first times where like you really started to see like true like dramatic television actors people that are just pure character actors that you can put into a show and they'll knock it out. Stage and actors. I mostly. mean, yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, and the thing was, is they're they're not like super A-list actors, right? I mean, none of them were.
1: None of them. I mean, I mean, Wood not Harris. I heard, him, I heard of Wood Harris before any of this and a Hassan Johnson briefly because I saw him in Belly, but everybody else, well, except for some of the rappers, they use like Federal Starr, Method Man.
2: Method Man. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, that, that's a great point, uh, Joey. And, um, you know, I, I think, you know, let's jump into this first song here. Um, the The Blind Boys of Alabama, Way Down in the Hole. It's essentially the theme song for the show. It's played over five seasons, but uh, this is, you know, they switch it up for every season and, and this was used for season one.
1: And this is the original version of the song, too. And And it's the best. It is. It is. I like this version the best, actually. Yeah, and appropriately enough, when the show, when the series ended, they used this song as its ending montage too to bring everything full circle.
0: Yep. Yep. It was. uh, I think that was a really nice way to tie everything together.
1: It was. Yeah, and like, what's it called? Even though the song is kind of shortened in the intro and whatnot, the imagery that they use in there to show Baltimore. And, like, even to reflect the the opening scene of the very first episode of The Wire about it's not Boogie always took the money. Why'd you let him in the game in the first place? We got to, yo. This America.
0: <laughs> yeah. That, I thought it was, you know, Di- David Simon said it was kind of a love letter to Baltimore, the show.
1: And he, with his reporting, he spent a lot of time out there. And he has a journalistic background based in Baltimore. And a side note, he's a graduate of our high school, Joey. I'm sure you knew that.
2: Oh, yeah. Oh, for sure.
0: <laughs> yeah, he actually spoke at my graduation, too, which was pretty awesome. You lucky bastard. Did he really? Yeah, yeah. He spoke, um, and he, he gave a really awesome speech. I think this was around when Generation Kill was being released. Uh, that was, like, what, 2000, 2008? Yeah, Sounds I think it was around right. that. This
2: was your college graduation?
0: Yes. Yeah, he spoke at my college yeah. graduation. <laughs> gotcha. But uh, it was awesome, man. It was definitely the. We had a couple speakers was a little bit of unusual of a, uh, of a setup, but um, he was definitely the best uh, speaker out of all of them, and definitely uh, huge fan. <laughs> so, but um, yeah. uh, and
2: he, and the the interesting thing about Simon, though, and, and I, I referenced Pelicanos earlier, and so much so that like I don't even think a lot of people realized how involved like the writing teams were in this that. You know, they. you have people like a Simon who's a type A and a Pelicanos who's a type A. And the other guy who I'm completely blanking on his name, um, Ed something or other. Ed Ed Burns. Ed Burns. Ed Burns. Thank you. So, I mean, you have these three guys who could carry most shows on their own. And you have these guys in there, and they're not only pitching ideas, but they're working each other's scripts, which is thing that, like, You have to be incredibly patient, number one, to like put out a draft, put your heart and soul in it and have somebody come in there and mess with it. And, you know, I think that's one of the reasons why this show works so well, because you had so many people who are really good at different aspects of telling a story and kind of bringing them all together, which, again, I mean, this you're seeing Simon try to recreate some of these shows. And I think I love The Deuce. Um, you mentioned Generation Kill and was uh, that other miniseries Treme. about Yonkers. E- Tremay too, yeah. But even if they were critically acclaimed, they never had like what they would expect of an audience based on their previous work. So I mean it's 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 gritty, it's raw, but it's it always I mean it was it was definitely one of those shows where it was built for our generation to come to it afterwards so you could just binge the shit out of it.
1: Pretty much, I mean, it had more of a following. All these shows you mentioned had a bigger following after they ended. And like you said, the whole cult classic thing, like a cult following, you're right about that. Because even with the critical lauding of these shows and the critical acclaim, they didn't have the big audience. They weren't getting no Emmy, Emmy nominations. And really, it was word of mouth, like you said. And also, another writer that they entrusted to having... Input on the shows, including the teleplay and the story, was Dennis Lehane, who wrote *Mystic River*, *Gone Baby Gone*, the novels. For those I mean, and he even appeared in an episode in season three uh, as an evidence control officer named Sullivan, who was sitting there reading an Irish porno magazine when McNulty came to talk to him. <laughs> so, so back a to deep cut. Back to
0: this song. It's done by the the Blind Boys of Alabama. This one interesting thing I didn't know about them is that one they're they're all actually blind all all yeah. of, all the members of of the the gospel group
1: yeah it's not just a clever name
0: yeah and they've won five Grammy awards uh it was just kind of like I was like whoa I didn't <laughs> you know mm-hmm. it's an interesting uh, interesting little uh, fun fact there but um they they this song is actually a cover of Tom Tom White Tom Waits song waits yeah.
1: But this is the best version right here. And the Tom Waits version is used in season two.
0: Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. So um, when you dive a little bit deeper into the lyrics, you can see uh, it really matches up, you know, I think quite well with the uh, with the themes of the show. Right. Like um, and, and people, you know, when you look at the lyrics, we'll all be safe from Satan. When the thunder rolls, we just got to help and keep the devil way down in the hole.
2: Right, way down in the
0: hole. Way down in the hole. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I, I feel like you know, with the wire, the, the whole, the whole theme of that. I think that one of the taglines was read. You have to read between the lines for
1: season five. Yeah, that was the tagline for season five.
0: Yeah, and um, I think you know a, what Simon was trying to do is kind of bring some of this stuff stuff to light. You know, so I think the whole way down in the hole part of it. Was like his way of kind of acknowledging, hey, nobody really knows much about these issues in Baltimore. But, um, you know, You're gonna dig them out of the hole. Yeah, you got to dig them out. Of the- you got to expose these, you know, issues and injustices, which I thought was just really cool and, and a really cool like reason why he chose the song, I think.
1: Well, it worked. Every institution they delve into is like I was having like a teaching experience. I thought I still yeah. am every time I view the series.
0: I always feel like I find something new. It's like, whoa, it is,
1: it is everything in there. I think it's done deliberate. It's just like a Jordan Peele movie. All the imagery in there is done on purpose. It's not by accident.
0: Yeah, exactly. then we, it's
2: also a little on the nose too, because you've got, you know, the literally that half the characters are just slamming heroin the entire time. So they're down in the hole. You've got, I mean, there's a lot of little, little aspects of where you can look at each lyric and think it pertains to multiple characters, multiple storylines,
1: of of each season. Even you're right, it does actually. I mean, like you said, the um the drug addicts like bubbles, the street level cats who are way down in the hole in their in their respective institution. Um, even D'Angelo. D'Angelo, Bodie, Wallace, Poot, they're down in the pit. That's a hole.
0: Yeah. And even McNulty, right? I mean, he's kind of a yeah. he's kind of a He's in a drunk house. Yeah, he's he's uh, you know always chasing women. He's always like you know drunk a lot of the time. Yeah, all that <laughs> but all that
1: stuff is what makes him a good cop though. And he's in McNulty. He's the central character of the whole series. I mean, the series doesn't have a main character, but it began and ended with him.
0: I've heard rumors actually that that character McNulty was based off of uh, Ed, um, Ed Norris.
1: Ed Norris, uh, the uh, the guy who plays. <laughs> <laughs> Detective Ed Norris in the show. Yeah, he plays himself. <laughs> plays himself. He was commissioner of the New York of New York or Baltimore police department at one point.
0: It was Baltimore and, and he got
1: arrested and went to jail for something.
0: Yeah, there was a scandal, some sort of political scandal. But I think he was up in New York City before he came to Baltimore. He
1: was. He's a New York accent, a heavy one.
0: Yeah, and I actually bought his book. It's called Way Down in the uh Way Down in the Hole. Yeah. I, I bought it and I'm I'm going through it now. Um it's it's really good. It's really good. <laughs> But um, yeah. Let's let's go to our next song. Uh, it's by Jay Z, and it's uh Izzo.
2: Wait a minute. Who I don't I don't know who that guy is. <laughs> you <don't know> him? <laughs> <laughs> Did you familiarize me a little bit with his work?
1: Oh sure, sure, sure. He has hard knock life. He sings a uh, girls, 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 and he's married to some lady named Beyonce. Oh Beyonce. Yeah, Beyonce. Yes, who was recently in the Lion King. And he's
0: almost you know Jay Z is almost you know only one of the most. Uh, what does he have? The, the, one of the highest net worths in the in the in the world, right? I mean, he's, he's like
1: he's close to a billion, if not already there.
0: Yeah, he's a billionaire. <laughs> Just a billionaire, you know? <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, but who isn't? You know what I mean? <laughs> we ain't not yet.
0: <laughs> but um, yeah, this song's off the the sixth album, The Blueprint,
1: which came out on nine eleven two thousand and one. I remember that day. And uh, what's it called? Around that time when the blueprint came out, this was one of the biggest singles on there. And during that time, it was really uh it was really an upbeat single, really uplifting during that during that dark period. And I thought that off topic' we're saying this is one of Jay's best albums right there, and one of the best albums that came out that year. But the way it's used in the show, that's another thing I want to talk about. The way these songs are used in the show, it's no there's no kind of anachronisms at all. All the shit that's currently that was popular on the radio or popping back then, they found a way to incorporate it in there. This is one of them, I thought.
0: Yeah, exactly. And I mean, this song's played when you know, D'Angelo essentially gets out, you know, gets out of jail. He beats the kid, he beats the murder. He
1: beats the murder rap, yeah.
0: And then, um, you know, he's talking with Weebay in, in the car, and that that song's playing on the radio. Which is another thing I really like about this show is they they don't actually directly inject these songs like you know into the clips Oh, it's, it's background noise yeah it's always background yeah,
2: it's noise. done perfectly
1: yeah which, which which makes it deliberate kind of it yeah
2: makes it... and another Side, thing do it... you remember what radio station that was because that was one of the three we could get one no, of the hip-hop stations
1: it was 92q 90, Q, yeah 92q is what that was in baltimore because we got 93.9 95.5 and then 92 yeah Q.
2: but when you you used to be able to pick up ninety two Q. I used to. <laughs> me too. Me too. I remember that.
0: Yeah, and um, I they... mean,
2: and you, they even do like subtle drops. Like there are, they incorporated some like local people uh, into the show. So like a local sports uh, sports guy was on at The sports junkies from the DC area, yeah, had a quick cameo on it. So, I mean, like they did a lot of like radio local radio backdrop of people that were on the air at the time
1: and they did that too in season four as well when snoop and chris are trying to figure out who the new york dealers are they asked them go up and ask them only only something that baltimore people would know like 92q or something like that yeah <laughs> and then snoop put out a gun on the dude and he's like whoa whoa snoop he's cool he's cool <laughs> let me do the talking from now on
0: yeah i mean there, so WeeBay and, and D'Angelo, D'Angelo are talking in the car, and you know he pulls over. It's like, what's our rule? Yeah.
1: And, yeah. and another, thing, another part of that scene, the imagery in that scene, too, he's telling them not to talk in the car, reminding them what the rules are. But if you look at, it, look at where they're at, what the backdrop is, like a New York fish and burgers and chicken restaurant. And if you see where WeeBay and D'Angelo are standing in relation to the sign, WeeBay is right under beef. D'Angelo is under chicken.
0: I did not notice that. That
1: was I don't know if that was deliberate, but given how they how we what we learned about their characters, it stands to reason.
0: Yeah, and if, if you look at the lyrics too, like, you know, I, I put a little snippet there in, in our in our notes, but uh, you know, get your damn hands up, get your damn hands up, that's the anthem that's the anthem.
1: Y'all, Y'all got, got to feel feeling, me.
0: You know, key 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 emphasis on the anthem. that's essentially WeeBay or Barksdale's anthem, you know, or the rules, the code. Yeah, Yeah, and
1: they don't break them. I mean, Avon don't got his people, like, getting high or drinking or nothing like that, not talking about nothing in the car, don't talk over the phone. Yeah. And the pager and the pager discipline and the code they have for that, it's like, wow. For for a bunch of hood cats, y'all are very intricate.
0: (laughs) I mean, and you you, you saw in the series it took – someone like Prez, Belus- Prez Belusky to figure that out. I mean, cause it was definitely really complex. It
1: was a nerd. Yeah. Prez, he's, he's, he likes that kind of complex shit. He's a math nerd,
0: <laughs> but uh, we'll go to our next song here. Um, it's also used in episode one. Bill Withers use me. We've spoken about, uh, we've spoken about this before in one of our other podcasts when we, uh, any
1: we, given Sunday, we spoke about it there. Yeah.
0: And I, I love this song and it's, uh, it's played in Orlando's uh, strip joint. Or strip club. Um And I mean, it's pretty, pretty perfect actually. I mean, when you think about it, D'Angelo is kind of using Avon and then it's kind of vice versa, right? Avon's kind of using D'Angelo yeah, to, to, you know, get his stuff done, you know, for, for the, um, you know,
1: in the drug game, everybody gets used, but also in the police department too. I mean, look at Rawls, Rawls, he uses his, his homicide detectives to help him move up the ladder and keep up his clearance rate and whatnot. Yeah. I mean, and Burrell, him too. I mean, he just wants to look good for the press and in front of his boss, the commissioner. They all want to look good in front of their bosses, and they'll use anybody, use them or use them up in order to fulfill their goals.
0: And 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 also think about where this scene is. It's in a strip club. There's strippers. You know, strippers are being used by the strip club strip club owner just to you know and make they money. Use,
1: and they use customers. Yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah, and it's just it's just perfect. And when you look at the. Uh, the lyrics here, you know, my brother sit me right down and he talked, talked to me. He told me I ought to not let you just walk on me, and I'm sure he meant well, yeah. But when our talk was through, I said, brother, if you only knew, you'd wish that you were in my shoes. You just keep on using me until you use me up, until you just use me up.
1: That's it. That's what happened with D'Angelo. It's I mean, exactly what happened to him. And he
0: had a sit down with Avon and that of scene. Them. Yeah, bunch of them too. So I just thought it just works. That's the genius of. Uh, yeah. You know David Simon and uh, the Wire music supervisor,
1: and Avon Avon's intro in that scene too as well. When he's right there with Stringer and uh, Orlando, and they're talking about this dude named Marcellus. Like, did you invite Marcellus? Nah, I invite him here. Orlando's like, you want to throw? You want me to throw him out? I don't give a fuck what you. Nah, actually, I'm gonna tell you what. Go down there and make that motherfucker pay for his drinks.
0: <laughs> yeah, you nailed that imp- impression, man. <laughs> but. uh... Yeah, th- th- this um, this was just a great another great choice by um, by David Simon and the music supervisor. And we go to our next one, which is an epic uh, another epic song, Miles Davis, All Blues, and essentially the uh, essentially um, what happens is is McNulty figures out that Less- Freeman is actually a, a good cop and not, not a you know, not a hump not a hump you know and he actually knows his shit. So uh they go out for a drink
1: Yeah, yeah, they go out for a few. Cause remember what he said is like I think I need to buy you a drink unless you looks at him like just One.
0: Just One, yeah. I I, uh, I love that actor who plays Freeman. Uh, uh, Clark Peters. Clark he, Peters, he's so good.
1: Yeah, he's good. He's he, good. Had a, he had a small
0: little part in True Detective, too. Remember yeah, in that? Season
1: One, yeah, as a preacher the, the, the church in Season One.
0: Yep, yep. And um, this song's great, too. I mean, it's just an instrumental track by Miles Davis, who's just... Uh,
1: and they both share blues with each other, McNulty and Lesser, because they're both a high, great first-grade detectives who were both basically in the doghouse because they were basically doing their jobs. I yeah. mean, Lester, he's more mindful of chain of command than McNulty is and doesn't mouth off like that, but it, it, the, the principle still applies for both of them.
2: Yeah, yeah, but Lester learned the lesson yeah. that McNulty was about to, which was, you know, however many years ago, when they asked him where he didn't want to go, that's where they sent him. And, and so Lester had, to, had a chance to sit on it for however many years, before he found his path back to the game. And if it wasn't for McNulty being as sneaky as he was, he'd have been there. He'd have been on the boat for 20 years. But what's it building called? Building little wooden tickets.
1: But here's the thing with Lester, with McNulty, though. McNulty ended up on the boat because he didn't tell Rawls he wanted to be on the boat. He probably told him he wanted to be at the Western. And then Landsman revealed that in season two, Landsman revealed that he told Rawls where McNulty didn't want to go.
2: I always got the impression McNulty basically told him. So I, I must have missed that part because yeah. I figured he just walked right in there and be like, I don't want to go on a boat. He's like, all right.
1: Not, not season two when McNulty gets off the boat temporarily, goes to the goes to Homicide and talks to Lansman and Bunk. And Lansman's like, you owe me $10, Gilligan. He's like, fuck you, especially since you were the one that told Rawls where I didn't want to go. He's like, I knew Rawls was pissed, but I, I didn't think he'd actually send you there.
0: <laughs> yeah.
2: Oh. <laughs> the problem with some of these songs too, and I, I don't mean to cut you off Andrew. The problem with some of these songs is it it brings you back to like a specific episode a specific arc that's going on and the like the problem with it is it's almost like an anthology show with the same characters if that makes sense I mean each season is different, but you have these kind of these trajectories of, of where they're gonna go but but are connected no though. I mean yeah, but I mean, even the stories that are connected also kind of have their their own way of unraveling and and kind of getting to you know the the core issues that they're trying to explore in each season. So, I mean, that's you know, why I didn't think season over, two worked at first. My bad, I didn't mean to cut you again, off. I didn't mean no, to cut no 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 no. I was, just,
1: I was saying that's I was why, saying, why I didn't. You, know, think when, se- when you,
2: <laughs> you go ahead. Rock, rock, paper, scissors. Now, just when you when you jump from Season one, which had that singular focus on the pit, breaking them, getting after Barksdale, that whole piece. It really opened up what they wanted to do from a story perspective in season two when you had the same drug thing going on that you had in one and then an entirely different subplot of the docks and all of that. And that they still managed to merge in one singular Baltimore, you know, underground perspective. And it all kind of tied back. And it just, it's really, you know, you go down this rabbit hole of, of each character, of each episode, of each season. And just the layers that they were able to, to kind of set up. I, I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall of the season two writers room. When, how they put together this particular arc. I mean, it was just, just
1: fascinating. It was. At first, I didn't think it connected anyhow. Because like you said, when they... When they finished season one, they opened the door for a lot of things that they could do with this whole, the institution that they explored. So when they went from that to season two to the docks, and then made the made the Barksdale portion like more of a subplot, really, it kind of threw me off at first. But multiple viewings of the series, it convinced me that the season two, the docks, and what we learned from there with the Greeks... That makes it the most important season of all, I thought, because we see who the real power is in Baltimore and the Baltimore drug trade. It's not the Barksdales. It's not Prop Joe. It's not Marlowe. It's the Greeks.
0: Yeah, because the Greeks are the wholesalers. Yeah, and, they
1: control everything.
0: And that was what made season two so brilliant is you see how the drugs come into Baltimore since it's a port city and who controlled all of that, which was essentially the Greeks and whoever had that relationship with the Kinect, which was Prop uh, Joe. Prop, was Joe. The,
1: Prop Joe was the Kinect pretty much.
0: So Prop Joe was yeah. kind of the king at that point in terms of the the co op and he had that relationship and that's why we find out later Marlo t- hasn't taken out.
1: Yeah, he went to usurp him, yeah. But here's the thing though, Marlo would never be put on that path if it wasn't for Avon in season five. Yeah. Avon being all playful with him when he sees him in jail, saying, I got nothing but love in my heart for you, West Side niggas, nothing but love. But I get my peace too.
0: Yeah, so um Yeah, season two is, See, is, a, is a
2: But when I, Even at that, the meeting of the council when Prop Joe when they when they got him and the the two guys kind of whispered, whoever steps up with the connect is the one that put him down. I mean, the the just the layers of how it goes back and where they started that thread and the fact that you know the Greeks, I'm not even Greek, but they keep popping back up, meeting with different people, reestablishing the connect, and this whole thing went away because Barksdale lost his New York connect. Because they thought he got too light of a prison sentence. And so that's why Stringer's stepping on Bad Dope and why he's now, you know, they're about to give up the towers yeah. to, the, up to the east side people. Because the product that they had and the, the organization that they set up they was were get, crumbling.
1: They were getting it from a New York connect, Roberto, Dominicans, right? But then, like you said, in season yeah. two, when Avon got sent to jail and they thought his prison sentence was, sentence was too light and then Roberto got hit up himself. Nobody was really fucking with Avon after that. His Atlanta connect was getting him stepped on shit and they had no other option, but to go with prop Joe, but Avon of course, didn't want to do that out of pride.
2: Uh, And that's the crazy thing too, because you know, they show stringer, you know, he's going to his Baltimore community college business classes. He's, you know, he's looking at it from a macro perspective, but it was really Avon that built this organization through, you know, like, just absolute brute strength and the will to do it. But more importantly, the little, the, the things that they picked up, like you talked about, like the skip code on the pagers and the rules that they followed. And you, they showed these subplot characters, the people that were the soldiers, and they were all half a moron. But yet they all knew how to use a jump code on the beeper. And they all knew the main rules of, of not talking in certain places. And it's just, like, amazing to see that, like, when you have these simplistic rules, that even a bunch of knuckleheads can follow them. Yeah, knuckleheads and is
1: what they called them, yeah.
2: For, for all of that, Stringer, with all of his grand plans, still never was what Avon was, which was just from the streets. Avon and, was, and that's...
1: I was going to say, Avon was more intuitive about the streets, no doubt. Stringer thought he could apply, apply whatever he learned in college to the streets, but nah. It didn't work that way, and he tried to he tried to make himself on par with the politicians that he was trying to get up with, like Clay Davis. Like no, it's like Avon said, they saw your ghetto ass coming from miles away. But yeah, but the soundtrack, yeah, the soundtrack also reflects some of that too, especially the next song by Most Def and Talib Kweli, Hater Players, Hater Players, yeah, from their Black Star album in '98.
0: And this is played in the car, essentially when Kima's with Orlando. Undercover, yeah. So Savino gets into the car. He turns the music up so that, you like know.
1: Since we go on this way down Landville, I need to go get me some cigarettes. And he knew he just turned the music right up immediately.
0: Yeah, he knew that, you know, she may have been wearing a wire and mm-hmm. didn't want the, uh, the.
1: The fake coke that he was about to sell them.
0: Yeah, you know, and the takedown squad was ready, you know, for Baltimore Police Department. Oh, that They were trailing.
1: Whole, yeah, but they remember, they they changed the signs up. Yeah. She was talking about, I could have swore this was, what's it called, in Orlando, it's like the Hopper swishes signs up on you cops. And then WeeBay and Lil' Man just come out and start shooting. But that whole plan just went wrong because Savino was trying to signal that he knew that that lady was a cop, but they didn't see him.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it was just it was just bad and then the you know Kima was trying to go for the gun in the back and it you know if, fell
1: if they got it got yeah as soon as they put any weight on them seats the gun that was taped a pretty secure got like a slid right back.
0: Yeah. That was a pretty uh pretty that was very emotional intense scene. scene.
1: Yeah. That was a very intense scene. That's when the sh- that's when the series really started to pick up for me. Well, yeah. I mean, they had its moments I mean, before that, like with Omar uh, when he killed Stinkum and then hit up Weebay with the "You come at the king, you best not miss" moment. But when Kima got shot, that's when that was a real, that was like real. What's it called? That was when the, the plot thickens. Yeah, and they and but the, uh, even
2: more than even more than that, because Rawls and McNulty hated each other
1: in the next episode. Hated yeah. each other,
2: but you still saw them come together. Like so, I mean, it was it was interesting because. If you had just like a formulaic device show, you know, they would show Rawls continuing to be an asshole. But at that moment, in that time, when he could see that McNulty was truly hurting and blaming himself, he went over there and they were all brothers for five minutes. Even, if he, was,
1: even if he told them in his you know, own abrasive way. Yeah. And, yeah and bef- I mean,
2: it's, it's, a, it's amazing how they got to the heart of the multiple different kind of lifestyles that people were running and how authentic they were. Whether it's you know the the bond the policemen feel when they're you know in that that kind of that fight or flight that the die when somebody gets gets killed in the line of action, whether it's the you know the drug dealers and kind of it, everybody closing down ranks when when they think they've got heat, it's just amazing how they were able to portray all of those different things. So were, just yeah.
1: some of them are genuine reactions, yeah, but some of them are just purely reactionary, like Burrell and the commissioner ordering raids on everybody, all the drug dealers in the city. And then Daniel's reaction, dope on the damn table, like that's going to accomplish shit. Yeah. And then more than, and like you said, a hard to what you said about Rawls, that episode after Kima got shot, what's it called? The cost where he just took control of the crime scene and just, and he was the one that figured out that the hoppers, they switched the street signs on people. The scenes right there, they show that Rawls, before he started climbing the ladder, he was good police at one point. He, yeah. he knows what the fuck he's doing, but he realized that he, if he wants to move up, he's got to play the game and be an asshole. I like and that's
2: you... the first time you said that, which I wanted to, to go into, because that was always the thing that they would say when somebody was, you know, when, when they really respected them was that you are good police or that's a real murder police right there. I mean, that was the, the line that you knew that you were working with somebody that was up to the level that, that they expected of each other. And you could see that at one point Rawls was good police.
1: Yeah and he respects good police too He even admits McNulty's a good police Even though he hates his guts
0: Yeah and you could see it in the scene where he tells everyone He's like stop everybody stop what you're doing right now
1: I said nobody fucking move Yeah <laughs> If you have not been assigned a task by homicide Then you need to vacate the crime scene Is there nobody that understands English <laughs> if, you have, if you are not homicide Then remove your useless interfering asses from the crime scene <laughs> Now <laughs>
0: Yeah, and um, I mean it, he,
1: John Doman is just John Doman. He's good. I mean, I didn't. I seen him before The Wire, before like in Die Hard with a Vengeance and Copland. He was in those films. Yeah, but he had bit parts in those.
0: Die Hard with a Vengeance. He plays like a foreman, oh, a foreman right? Foreman, yeah. <laughs> I was like, holy crap, that's John Doman. Like mm-hmm. I had to look it up with
1: IMDb. But uh... oh yeah, and he was in he Myst- was he was in Oz. He was in- one of the one of the
2: recurring characters that was in Oz
1: there and he had like the part of the uh the rapist in the beginning of
2: mystic river oh god you're absolutely right i forgot about that yeah
0: (laughs) so if we go back we go back to this song the lyrics of this song hater players yeah Yeah, it's a i feel like it does refer to kind of and match up a little bit with the scene in terms of orlando snitching and then you know kima being a being a cop an undercover you see the, the lyrics, you run in your mouth, but you really don't know what you're talking about. You should retire. Get that complimentary watch.
1: Yeah, that part right there, you should retire, because that harks back to what, a- a- what Avon and Stringer were telling Orlando to do. Like, what's it called? They told him not to get involved in no crime. They even gave him a beating just to drive the boy home. They mainly want him clean so their liquor license will stay clean, right? But in, but a side effect of it to that is we're trying to keep you safe pretty much. Yeah. And when he kept going along with the um, – those out of state dudes pretending to be from New Orleans or whatever that were really state police. Yeah. Which, by the way, that seems like entrapment to me. By the way, the way that scene played out when he when he kept saying that what's he wants to get involved with them gets arrested and then we and then Levy the lawyer leaves him hanging out to dry, saying basically sign us right here and it's backdated. You want to be part of the game now? You're in the game.
0: <laughs> yeah, that that scene was really. Um I didn't know what was going on at first because you see those two. Uh, those two
1: dudes were looking with the red bandanas on in the in the SUV or whatever, and they
0: looked like he just kind of oddly smiled at them, and then you know, of course, you figure it out. And the next scene, they're walking with Orlando, where or he's cut. You figure up, yeah. you figure that those two guys were undercover. Uh-huh, they police.
1: probably they probably put a badge up in the in the bag too when he kept looking in there, and when you figured
2: it out, and that's why they started laughing.
0: Yeah. Yeah, um, that
2: one that one cop from that scene, the, the baby face black guy, Troy Wiggins, he's, been, he's one of those he's one of those that guys that when you see him, you know, you recognize him, but there's no way you could pull his name. Yeah, I don't even know. His I, real, <laughs> I don't
1: even know the actor's real name, to tell you the truth. I only know him as Troy Wiggins from The Wire, though I have seen him on season one of Law and Order SVU.
2: He was also on an episode of NYPD Blue, which I just rewatched recently. He was younger than so I Wendy. can't help myself. Oh, yeah. <laughs>
0: So uh, we'll go to our next song here in episode eight.
1: CK1 by Cage. Yeah. Yeah, this was used in a scene where um, where they go to Little Man's house for a party downstairs or whatever to, to celebrate Stingham's promotion to crew chief. And before that, they were all up in the, the what's it called, the um the pit beef, Pulaski, over in Baltimore having a pit beef run, just talking shit or whatever. A scene that I like because it humanized all of Avon's soldiers. And when they're not killing people, they're actually just regular people just looking for a bite to eat. But... And this scene right here, where everybody's downstairs, Stinkham, Weebay, Orlando, little man, just like drinking, smoking herb, and D'Angelo's just so uncomfortable during this scene. He even calls out Stinkum for like rolling up a joint. He's like, yo, Stink, what about the rules? And he's like, special occasion, yo. <laughs> and then WeeBay, and then Weebay takes a girl up in the room and smashes. Orlando's dancing, but he doesn't he doesn't like D'Angelo at that point because that's the cause of the beating that he got from Avon and Stringer. And then but the artist who did it, Cage, yeah. He's he was a big portion of the NYC underground in the late in the 90s and last decade, too. He was with the Eastern Conference Def Jokes record label. He had beef with Eminem during Eminem's Slim Shady LP record that came out when we were in high school because of their similar styles and the fact that they're white MCs. Which makes me think another thing. I don't think all white MCs like each other. They always gotta prove which one's better. I'm serious. They're always beefing. Look at Machine Gun Kelly, M&M. Third base vanilla ice.
0: <laughs>
2: I did not notice that, but mm-hmm. that is a good point.
0: <laughs> but um I
2: can't tell if you dropped that one in there just to make me laugh or if you were actually being serious. Why can't both but be either...
0: true? <laughs> <laughs> so we go to we go to our next song. Um it is uh, Master Ace. Master Ace. Uh, Master Ace Unfriendly Game.
1: Yeah, this song was used in the scene where, remember the scene where, what's it called? D'Angelo, they're still dealing with the aftermath of Kima shooting. Everybody, the pit, um, Avon, all, all layers of Avon's organization. And then somebody tells D'Angelo that he needs to get up with Stringer at Orlando's. He goes there. The club's pretty much empty. He doesn't know what's going on. He's like, yo, hey, what's up? Why the club empty? You going with Bay. Hey, yo, Bay." Make sure that shit really clean, all right? So what's going on? What the fuck you waiting for? And it's leaving us too in the, in the, in the dark too, because then you see Weebay and Stringer, I mean, Weebay and D'Angelo in the car, and then the Master A song, Unfriendly Game, is playing in the background. And that song, it uses the sport of football as a metaphor for the, for the crime and the street game that goes on. I mean, it uses a bunch of football related wordplay to describe the hustlers, the, uh, the, the fiends the cops, etc. and it was from his 2001 album Disposable Arts which tells a story about a guy who gets out of jail, then goes back to school, and then figures out a way to be part of the rap game.
0: Yeah, and the whole time when you like the tension when you see him walking up to the door and the door's about to open, you just think this is going to happen.
1: Like, yeah, he's sweating like crazy, yeah. And it's like we don't know what's going to happen. He don't know what's going to happen. It's like are they going to shoot him?
0: Yeah, I and mean, the
1: and the dialogue is left it left ambiguous like that too. It's like I just do what they tell me, D. You know what I'm saying?
0: Yeah, and y- the whole time you're just thinking.
1: He's like, and D's all scared. He's like, he's like, motherfucker, would you get in here? Fuck is wrong with you? And he opens the <laughs> car. Is
2: this when he when he tells him to, to feed his fish.
1: Yeah, uh huh. When he when he brings him to his house and it's all dark and D'Angelo's all scared and the light comes on he's like, check him out, D. My fish. <laughs> I'm like, we're like, that's what you called him over here for. That's what you and Stringer were trying to scare him with.
0: Yeah, the joke's on him, right?
1: Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> and He's like, what's it called? Yo, yo, why are we going to Philly for? We shot a narco D. Got to go sky up.
0: Yeah, I was like, whoa. I was like, <laughs> I was on the edge of my seat for that scene. You know, me too.
1: A lot of tension was going on in that episode, and the song itself, "An uh, Friendly Game." It takes its cue from what's called another song called Just a Friendly Game of Baseball, which came out in 1991 by a group called Main Source. And that song, it uses the sport of baseball as a metaphor for police brutality.
0: Gotcha. Yeah. That, uh, that, you know, and then, then we go to our next song here by um, Paul Anka. Put your head on my shoulder, and this is the one. This is essentially the song that's played in uh, where they get
1: their hot dogs, where they eat hot dogs or whatever. Yeah,
0: in the in the, in the restaurant, and this is before uh, before Wallace, who's played by Michael B. Jordan. Mm-hmm. Uh, he gets he gets shot, and it's just it's a sad scene, you know.
1: It is because we know what's coming. Basically, I mean, when he when Wallace came back, we knew he was going to get got, and the scene with like Stringer Bell and Bodie, where Stringer basically covertly tells Bodie to kill Wallace. And Bodhi, we know he's going to do it. He keeps trying to break Wallace down, talk down to him, dehumanize him to make his job of killing him more easily, yeah. easier. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And you can see that. Um, I mean, you could see it in the whole scene. Just, you know, Wallace trying to actually, you know, speak on a human level to Bodhi about how he's feeling, and Bodhi just like, like you said, shoots him down.
1: Basically, it's like, why, why? You're talking about your mom's like you little kid and everything.
0: Yeah. And. um you just notice too he's being played. He's being played the whole the yeah. whole scene, and the lyrics kind of go back to that. They make a reference to that, you know, in this song. People say that love's a game, a game you just can't win. If there's a way, I'll find it. I'll find it. Somebody, and then this fool will rush in.
1: Wallace was a fool that rushed in, yeah, because they let him go into that apartment where the kids were not. Yeah, what the hell happened to the kids anyway? I mean, they had him go up in the building. The kids are no longer there, but the boy left his CD player up in there.
0: Yeah, that's something I never really figured out.
1: And they moved him somewhere else, I guess, or told him to get out. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, but the whole scene where they killed Wallace is like, yeah, so fucking sad.
0: It's gut wrenching. And then, what I didn't understand is why Wee Bay and and you know the crew when they find Brandon. You know, and, and Wallace helps him find it. Why did they drop them him, like, right there at outside of the apartment? Where like, he lives, yeah. Where he lives. Like, I just never got that. Like, why would he pick that place? Or if it, maybe they just didn't know. They
1: didn't know. I mean, they don't care about their utterlings, really. They don't know where they all live. I mean, yeah. D'Angelo might know because he actually connected with them. But them dropping Brandon right then and there where Wallace lives, that was purely, purely serendipitous. They didn't do that on purpose to fuck with Wallace, though, I don't think.
0: Okay. Okay. And then we go uh, go to our next track, uh, by Jesse Winchester. Yes, step by step. And Si, you found this one.: Yeah. Um,
1: this was used in the season one ending montage. It like shows everything that happened after the Barksdale trial and what's going to happen with the police department. Like at this point, we know that Daniels he didn't get the promotion to major. It went to his friend, Lieutenant Cantrell. And we know that Daniels because he because Pere- he crossed Burrell he's going to get some kind of punishment just like we see McNulty got punishment later in the montage when he's rocking the boat. And about the out the song though, it was from Jesse Winchester's 1976 album Let the Rough Side Drag. He was born in the south and born and raised in the southern states of America but moved to Canada to avoid being drafted during NAM. And what's funny is um Winchester was born at Barksdale Army Airfield in Louisiana. And I don't know if that's the reason why whoever whoever chooses the songs in the show, I don't know if they read that in this background or why they chose it as an inside connection or something or or if it's purely by chance, but either way, I thought it should be thrown in there. but yeah, the lyrics they summarize just how dysfunctional the Boston, i mean the Baltimore Police Department is along with the um the criminal institutions as well.
0: that's an interesting find the Barksdale mm-hmm. aspect where he was that's where he was
1: where he was born, yeah, wow, okay. Mm-hmm. And, like, about the, about the, back to the song itself, yeah. They mention, where's that? And if a saint steps out of line, he'll have to start again because Jacob's golden ladder is slippery at the top, and many a happy-go-lucky saint has made that long, long drop. And Lester Freeman mentioned that to the Daniels earlier in the season, saying, now I know how serious you are about the career ladder, and I know how slippery it gets the high up you go. But me? I don't want to go to no dance unless I can rub some tit and <laughs> yeah, and the and, the, and the, what we see what happens in this montage though bubbles and johnny weeks are still trying to scam heroin santangelo michael santangelo has been demoted from homicide detective to western district uniform by rawls as punishment for not wanting to snitch on mcnulty right mcnulty's now riding the boat and lester got his spot in homicide as bunk's partner um Kima is still recuperating from the injury, but desperately wants to get back out with the action when she looks at the sirens all longingly from the hospital window. Yeah. Uh, What else? What else? Uh, Carver, he becomes promoted to sergeant by Burrell, and he knows he didn't deserve that promotion for snitching on Daniels the way he did. Yeah. And Stringer Bell. Yeah, he's now the head of the Barksdale organization. And when he closes his eyes, it's like he imagines how the drug game could be and should be in his eyes a foreshadowing of Amsterdam, where everybody's just selling drugs, the cops aren't around, and no bodies are being killed.
0: Yeah, I wanted to ask you real quick, side the um, the actor who plays Santangelo is is that uh, actual real like was he an actual cop, pl- uh, police officer? Or?
1: I don't think so. I don't think so. I know he's been in other stuff before, other other dramas, another state. He's a stage actor, really. Okay, uh, Marconi, I think is his last name. Okay, in real life. And the final part of that scene was when we see Omar, who's hiding out in the South Bronx, still up to his old tricks, still yeah. sticking up people. And he gives the he gives the epigraph of the episode, which turns out to be the final line of the episode. All in the game, yo. Yeah. All in the game.
0: <laughs> and then, uh, so, you know, we go to season two and we go to the opening credits for it's Tom, Tom Waits, the original version, way down in the hole. Mm-hmm. I love this version and how it's used, especially in in relation to season two, because season two is essentially about the docks and the working class class and how, you know, cargo comes in from the ships, which, you know, has drugs or other contraband, stolen cars, Mm -hmm. you know, or we find out later it's actually, you know, prostitutes um, uh, and then that results in in the deaths and and the murder case. Um, but what I love about this song, when I listen to it, is the production of the song. When you listen to you know Tom Waits singing, it sounds like he's almost singing into like a container or something, or like there is like
1: a reverberation to it. Yeah. yeah,
0: which I thought was really cool.
1: That was that's probably why they chose it.
0: It just and and it, you could hear you could just hear the um the pain in his voice like he's just struggling you know like and it goes back to i feel like what you were talking about the struggling working class the 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 dock workers
1: and that and that class is dying too i mean based on what we saw in this whole season
0: yeah and then you find and, and another great point by the way by you um you know you said the working class is dying but the automation that goes into the the checking like the dock checkers job
1: which they eventually they're going to be replaced with and frank's like what the fuck was that horror story we saw today
0: yeah you know, he's like, "How are people going to be working, right?" Like, mm-hmm. he's like, "I guess you can't, you can't get hurt if you're not working, right?" right yeah, that's what he said. Yeah, that's just again what I, I just love season two. I think it's brilliant. It brings everything together. I feel like you know,
1: it, it does. Joey, don't you got a, don't you got a Frank Sabaka impression for us?
2: I've got. So I was trying. sign I was texting. I'm not sure if you've ever tried to phonetically text a Baltimore accent before, but it really, <laughs> it, it definitely makes you dig deep down into the. uh, the old Balmer, let's go, down to, uh, let's go down to the water, drink some Natty Bows, and see the ponies.
1: Move, <laughs> shipbird. All right, you mopes, don't get
2: captured. <laughs> I mean, there's a couple things. So you were talking about the working class. So I think that this this does something very interesting because it shows the kind of poor underbelly of Baltimore. From both sides. So, you know, you look at, you know, you look at the hood people, you look at the, the kind of white trash. There are, nobody is not affected by being poor in this country. So that's number one. The, the kind of way this whole thing kicks off was because Frank Sabatka was trying to curry favor to help get part of the canal dredged so that they could get more ships coming through because their union was seeing falling membership and they weren't doing nearly as many containers. And he ran up against another Polak cop who wanted to be the one to curry favor with the guy at the church. And that's how this whole thing kicked off. And, I mean, there are a couple of great scenes down there. because You have to to remember that (laughs) that, that, that's that's Prez's father-in-law, which is how he ends up back on the detail. I mean, it's just crazy to think how this massive, like Homeland Security, got involved at the end of the season. Oh yeah, that's how big that's how big <laughs> this was. And this started over a grudge over who got to replace a the stained glass window with the <laughs> church. Yeah, yeah.
1: Basically, that's exactly how it started. Two Polacks beefing with each other, <laughs> and that's how that's how Burrell described it to Daniels when he brought him onto the detail too about what's this all about.
0: Yeah, and. What's even crazier about this season is when that scene where where uh, where punches Valchek. <laughs> that was just crazy. Yeah.
1: Like, get your shit rolling! I'm pulling you. Get your narrow ass back to the district, or I'll slap you with insubordination. Move, <laughs> shitbird! Knocked him, clocked him, knocked his hat right off his head and made him bleed. Daniel's way, his eyes lit up. That it it funny too.
0: His eyes got so
2: wide. <laughs>
1: It's like, he, it's like his eyes were saying Jesus instead of Valchick's mouth. <laughs> and then McNulty and. Daniel, Then McNulty and Dan, and uh, Bunk were telling. When they learned about it, it was funny as shit. He's like, no shit. So, motherfucker Pred just leaped up and clocked him. Yeah. I mean, Daniels had to take him home for the rest of the day. And McNulty's all like, he acts like he wants to buy Perez a beer after knocking out a, a senior cop like that. <laughs> like, where is he now? You no, he'll be back on this detail. He's got one of them shits in his psych jacket that gives him all kinds of immunity. Valczyk was not immunity, and he just put Valczyk on his ass.
0: <laughs> yeah, that was, that, was, that, was, that was like, I was feeling what Cedric Daniels was. Like, his eyes went wide. I was, I was like, like, holy oh. shit.
1: You're going to get fired for this. <laughs>
0: that was crazy.
1: And the scene, uh, and, and like you said, where this all started from, right, between two Polish guys arguing, the scene where uh, Frank Sabaka curses out Valczyk, that was funny,
0: <laughs> but, um, you know, let's, let's go to our next song by, uh, what's it, Episode Two, Sean Paul, Get Busy. This one I feel like definitely brings me back. Definitely brings me back to like the 2000, like.
1: Sophomore year in college for me.
0: Yeah. Um, this song was just like played so big. much on the radio.
1: Sean Paul was big back then. I mean, even, even if you get like, he was Drake back then pretty much. If you get like Sean Paul feature on your record, you're gonna, your single will sell a million copies.
0: Yeah and this is played in the background with the, when Omar and Dante I guess who's uh who's um I guess the new uh member on his crew
1: and his new boyfriend yeah I mean Omar always had a thing for light skinned boys he do Brandon uh, uh Dante and uh, what's his name Ronaldo in seasons 4 and 5
0: yeah yeah and I think the song fits so so well with this scene I mean it's essentially a, a romance scene between the two and get busy you know there's obvi- the obvious sexual uh references there to the song title get busy Mm -hmm. you can see it in the in the lyrics um girl get busy just shake that booty non-stop when the beat drops just keep swinging it get jiggy
1: and it's also a metaphor for how omar operates in the street really much too i mean he can walk down the street with no gun and people still run away from him
0: yeah i think and and to, to piggyback off of that i think it just um also kind of hints at how his characters were very three-dimensional i mean a it's gay, a complex character yeah
1: a gay stick-up dude in the hood it's like that's that's just you on paper them shits don't go together but michael kenneth williams he made it work and in season one when i learned he's gay i was sitting there like thinking this shit doesn't go together how are they gonna make this work but what really just made him my favorite character, like I said earlier in the, in the podcast, was when he killed Stinkum and hit Weebay with, You come at the king, you best not miss. I'm like, Okay, okay, you're the hardest character on the show. No pun intended.
2: <laughs> I mean, there's never, in, in the history of television, he may be the most complex character of all time. One of the most I unique mean, it's just ones. It's complete dichotomy. It's, it's unbelievable what they're able to pull off. And I mean, you write it. You look at this on paper, and you're just like, "This is outrageous." And they, I mean, one, Omar is based off of a real dude. Yeah, and the real dude that
1: played him, the real dude that that he was inspired by, was also on the wire too. He was one of Butchie's people, and he died in real life. He got like a killed year ago. a couple of years ago. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Wow. Jeez. Yeah, he's the guy who sits in the car with him yeah. when they're when they're outside of uh...
1: Uh, a Monk's house yeah. in season five. Yeah.
0: I forget what his name is in the show.
1: Me too, oh. but he was the one that got himself put in jail so they could protect Omar.
0: Yeah, dude, that guy's huge. Huge, man. yeah, he is. I would not mess with that guy.
1: <laughs> he you saw they helped Jack. him out in jail. Yeah.
0: <laughs> but um, yeah, and then we go to we go to uh, our next song here by it's in episode five, and it's uh, Iggy Pop and the Stooges "Search and Destroy." Um. I love this song and how it's how it's
1: used. He's, he, Ziggy plays it on his radio after he got stiffed by Frog Yeah, and that's when uh, when a uh, Cheese Wagstaff makes his first appearance and his people show up and take his car and his jacket.
0: Yeah, and then the guy does a burnout with his car after yeah. he leaves.
1: And the funny thing about this scene is I remember what's it called. It was an intro to Frog too, right? And we get to see how the white, how the white trash or whatever how their drug operations operate, right? He's like, he sends him back to his, sends a customer back to his man, then gives Frog the the money, the power the money, then stiff Ziggy. And of course, Frog is not taking Ziggy seriously at all. Yeah. But, but but there's an interesting parallel to see how Frog operates compared to someone like D'Angelo. In season one, D'Angelo, for all of his young hoppers, he'd be like, hey, yo, Shorty, here's some money. Give me some chips, a ginger ale, and get something for yourself or whatever's left over. Yeah. Frog is like, hey, yo, Shorty, give me some crab chips. From the corner store right there. Doesn't even tell him to get nothing. That's on strawberry
2: soda. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's that's white Mike. White Mike wants strawberry soda and two hot dogs. Hook a brother up.
0: <laughs> and then Ziggy gets beat up, man. That, Ziggy that was, that was
1: a Ziggy was a butt of so many jokes.
2: He was but a more joke. than that, I mean when you have these like Shakespearean flawed characters that you just know are gonna be the downfall of somebody. I mean, you know that the first time you meet Zig, that yeah, he's father he fires is him. going to be the reason why this, this whole thing gets brought down. Every single time, you know he's always doing dumb shit. You know he's flashing money when he has it. Yeah. he's buying his stuff. I mean, he, you just know that he is going to be what brings this whole operation down. <laughs> and of course, he does at the end. Pretty much, he
1: does. yeah. when he kills George Glicas, yeah, he shoots him in the face, Malacca.
0: Yeah, he just lost it. I mean, you could see this song. Yeah, I mean, he, he
1: got jipped. I would be mad too. Maybe not meant to shoot the guy, but I would be mad.
0: And you see how he's kind of an outcast, or you know, and the the lyrics reflect that. I'm a street walking cheetah with a heart full of napalm. I'm I'm a runaway son of the nuclear a bomb. I'm the world's forgotten boy, the one who searches and destroys.
1: He's a time bomb. He is. Yeah. It's like you 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 make fun of him way too much. And a lot of it, he sat there and just ran with it, though, like when Maui put him on top, like,
2: you motherfuckers gave me bad
1: advice! <laughs> it's like his, his tone was almost like very humorous and joking.
0: Yeah, and, and yeah, like you said, he's just a ticking time bomb. The guy's unstable, mm-hmm. and um, I, I think it's cool also because, like, I don't know if you, you guys know who Henry Rollins is. Of course, yeah. Rollins is a huge fan of Iggy Pop, and... Um,
1: and it, I, I'm sorry. It parallels back to what I said earlier about white rappers with the uh, third base versus Vanilla Ice. In the third base video for Pop Goes the Weasel where they make fun of Vanilla Ice, Henry Rollins plays Ice.
0: <laughs> and then and then um, I actually ended up buying a Henry Rollins shirt that had Search and Destroy on it. Yeah. And I think it's a reference to that Iggy Pop song. It probably but, is.
1: Yeah. It probably
0: is. But um. Yeah, and then we go to our next song, which is from episode eight. Oh yes. This is uh Duck this is and cover. Yeah. This is this is uh McNulty where he just kinda lights it up, man, with that with that car.
1: 'Cause, the night, cause the night before the previous episode, his wife his ex wife rejected him after they had like one last one last fuck for the road as she calls it, and he thought they were all good the next morning. She's like, it Won't be fair to our kids, so you need to leave. And that devastates him.
0: Yeah. So then he just goes on a bender. <laughs> <laughs> he goes on a bender.
1: This, this whole opening was great. This made McNulty, as a fictional character, this made him a legend.
0: Yeah, and he, this song's called uh, Transmetropolitan. It's by the Pogues, and it just fits so perfectly. It's an, an Irish band. Irish punk band. Yeah. Irish punk band, and then, you know, of course McNulty is Irish, and you see it in his Irish heritage when he mm-hmm. goes in the, the bar, and the bartender's like, save some for, for everyone else, Jimmy, and he's like, pour it. Yeah. <laughs> 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 You're I, not driving, right? You're not getting behind a car, right? I
1: swear to you, I'm not driving. I, what do I, we see?
0: I'm not getting in a car. <laughs> he's like, I'm not getting in a car, Wes, or whatever. And, mm-hmm. or, or No, I'm not getting in a car, Gus.
1: <laughs> and as soon as he is, he's in the car driving, and he yeah. just, just makes that turnabout where he fucks the car up twice. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and then he tries it again. He backs up, and he's like, oh, I think I'll try this one more time. And mm-hmm. then you hear the pokes in the background, and then he, he tries to make that turn, and then –
1: and he hurts his hand, too.
0: Yeah, his hand's all bloodied up. And he's trying to sing. It's so funny. He's trying, he's to, trying sing to sing to the, the lyrics. Yeah. And he, you just can't hear anything. He's like, run, 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 run.
1: Dominic West probably was drunk for that whole scene.
0: Yeah, he definitely looked, looked <laughs> he the looked part. He looked the part, right? yeah. <laughs> and then the following scene after that.
1: He's in the diner. In the yeah. diner. <laughs> I just knew when, the waitress, when the, waitress, the waitress looked at him like a little bit shy at first, I'm like, he's going to pick her up. He's going to bag her, isn't he? And sure enough, when she starts floating back, you can get anything you want. <laughs> and she's on top of him just riding him like Seattle Slough.
0: <laughs> yeah, it, it was just uh, that was when McNulty was on fire. I was like, you, you really start to <laughs> to love the character a little bit. Yeah, there, it, it's by,
1: despite or because of his self-destructive ways. Yeah,
0: the debauchery.
2: <laughs> mm-hmm. But I mean, like, there's some, the, the debauchery of it is one because McNulty was just, you know, he takes the cake on that. But there's the game that, that him and Bunk play when they go into the bar where he's like, it's my turn. No, it's my turn. And they run <laughs> that stupid little game on the people. And then more importantly, you see that Kima is actually just McNulty the entire time. So, they're you know, game. they're running game on, on, on Kima's girl. So, oh, yeah, she had to take a prisoner out to, to Aberdeen tonight yeah. when she's out banging some chick. So, I mean, like, you can just see... This like how regardless of the way it's portrayed, and obviously in McNulty it's just a drunken Irish mess, but I mean they, they really portray these cops, which I think is probably somewhat of an accurate description. I mean I think so. You too. hear about these people just have just like the high percentage of alcoholism and people that cheat on their wives and the type of you know, the what their career is. And it's just amazing that like this is probably more than a stereotype than they realize. I mean, I think that goes back to kind of the authentic nature of the show. And there's there's a reason
1: stereotypes exist, because they're true to some extent. I mean, like, the drunken Irish cop, I've seen that several times, and not just in fiction, but in real life. And, like, like you said, how Kima's basically, like, McNulty, they even make a reference to that in season 3 when they're drinking near the train tracks, and she's talking about cheating on Cheryl or whatever, and then Kima's like, oh my god, I'm turning into fucking McNulty! He's like, pucker up, darling." <laughs> I mean, it, 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 even it, Prez jokes about it too when when, when Kima goes against what's it called, what, what Daniel's directives and like questions him. And then everybody's looking at her, and then Prez is like, well, at least McNulty's here in spirit. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> and then you know, if we look back at the lyrics for the the song "Trans Metropolitan," yeah, uh, you can see here it says, "Going transmetropolitan from the dear old streets of King's Cross to the doors of the ICA. Going Trans Metropolitan, we'll drink the rat's piss, kick the shite, and I'm not going home tonight." Which That's is exactly, exactly, what exact, yeah. exactly what happens. Exactly what happens at that scene. Yeah,
1: he didn't go home tonight. Yeah, not his own home anyway. That's right.
0: Um, (laughs) We go to our next episode, uh, our next song, Episode 10, Johnny Cash, Walk the Line, which this is perfectly used.
1: It was great, especially shows how when Precious comes in and puts everything together. Yeah. And we see their progress they're making in terms of surveilling the Greeks, the dock workers and whatnot. I'll I'll let you go on.
0: And the the song title, Walk the Line, which, you know, line having references to The Wire. Mm Mm-hmm um, you know, running the running the wire against uh, you know, um um the Checkers and, and the Barksdales uh Barksdale crew and um it the montage is just perfect.
1: It is, it is. And when it ends and everything goes together and Prez is looking at it like fucking A.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's almost like the it's almost like that scene where Bunk Bunk and McNulty Fuck Yeah. It's oh. like, Fucking yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. All the the series of fucks, and then he's like, he's like, motherfucker, Fucker. and then he's like, when he opens up the when he opens up the fridge, gets me every time he gets fucking a. <laughs> yeah,
1: like they figured it out. They figured out what happened. <laughs> that scene is great. It is. It's like we're watching their process in action, even if they got a curse instead of saying actual words. That was
0: just brilliant writing. I mean, like just brilliant just, writing.
2: It's that is the best. I mean, that that what two minutes of that scene? Yeah. is. <laughs> It's just, I mean, it's it's in the TV Hall of Fame. Yeah. That I mean, you trying to recreate a scene like that. I mean, that's just one of those ones that anytime that's on or I'm going through this, I will watch that like four times.
1: It's <laughs> yeah. just
2: unbelievable.
1: The, yeah, there's a lot going on in that scene. Yeah, more than what the dialogue suggests.
0: <laughs> and you know, and
2: it's the whole like tap 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 window. Thing. I mean, it's the the whole bit. It's and- it's really. Really smart. And it's probably a bit that that they
1: got from like actual Baltimore cops, something that they probably did once in a crime scene how they figured it out by saying, Fuck. Oh fuck. Motherfucker. <laughs> Fucking A. Alright, let's bounce.
0: <laughs> and and you know, uh back to back to the Johnny Cash, you know, David Simon has also used Johnny Cash, you know, in Generation Kill. At the yes, end of did. Generation Kill he used the song uh The Man Comes Around where they're all watching the footage from uh, that they gathered from their uh Journey through Iraq, and uh, I think I think it's cool. I, I I like how he uses Johnny Cash, and um, you look at the lyrics for this song "Walk the Line." I keep a clo- close watch on this heart of mine. I keep my eyes wide open all the time. I keep the ends out for the tie that binds because you're mine. I walk the line.
1: I feel it describes what the ball, what this unit, the, uh, ball, the the Major Crimes Unit, that's what they're now called. What they were trying to do with their targets, really. It's like keeping a watch on on their personal lives keeping their eyes open all the time to figure out what these guys are doing and whatnot and keep the ends out for the tie that binds. They're walking on the line to make sure they get these people. They're not crossing the line but they're walking on it.
0: Yeah. Exactly. And then we go uh go to our, our next song in episode twelve by Steve Earle, um, doing all right. This is now this is this is even where the wire starts to get even more cool. It's just with how they bring their characters, real-life characters, into the show, which, you know, Steve Earle was actually a heroin addict, a former, like, a heroin, heroin addict. He and was then, on one point, yeah. And um, he actually has a role in the show. He plays Waylon, who's the... Uh, the who's a leader
1: fr- the leader at the NA meetings and always, never on... Becomes Bubbles' sponsor. Becomes yeah. Bubbles' sponsor, yeah.
0: Yeah. And I'm just like, this is where the show, again, it's just like, holy crap, the show is frickin' awesome. Yeah. And um, this song is is played. What at the ending of uh, season two? Ending yeah. of season two. The montage
1: yeah. when Nick Sabaka when he comes out, he has to be let out from witness protection for a minute just so he can look at the docs, and he looks at it in tears while it's raining, and then the music comes on, and we see everything that's been happening since what's it called? Since the case closed, since the Greeks decide to bounce, and since uh, Stringer Bell, the Barksdale's, decide to go over to Prop Joe's people, like you see the checkers. There's some of them are still working, but the IBS, Frank's Union, that's closed. Yeah. It's been shut down. The 14 girls, the Jane Doe's, the hookers or whatever, they kind of went from red to black. Rawls is very happy, and so is Landsman. Yeah. Uh, what else? The Sabaka family. Yeah, Ziggy's in jail. Frank's dead. Nick is in witness protection with his kid and, and his girlfriend. Yeah. And I think the lyrics kind of— But kinda...
2: horses still sitting on the docks. Check it. Because no matter what, they would never give him up, and I just that was you know that one part horse, when horse face, yeah both when both Frank and then Nick day after day are both brought in they're laying out the whole thing and they just won't give up horseface yeah it's and it's like, just that one that that one kind of middle finger to the to the man of just you know what we'll cop to it but we're not giving up everybody
1: right it's like horse it's like even Nick said I don't know why the hell you got horse up there horse on no shit I'll testify to that yeah loyalty and what else what else was going on in there though um all the white dealers like frog and all them they're still dealing and the person whose steps he was in front of she's selling her house now um prop joe he's getting more product from the greeks uh the cop the cop that Uh, jimmy was in love with bd russell Yep. yeah she's still she's still with the port authority but now as bunk calls it she got game now
0: yeah and then When you look at the lyrics, like, I feel like it's references to that, those characters, like in the montage, uh, if you look at the lyrics, I was born my papa's son, a wandering eye and a smoking gun. I feel like that's... McNulty. Yeah. Wandering eye, yeah. Yeah, or even a reference to Ziggy as well, because Ziggy was Sabatka's son. Yeah, he was the smoking gun and he was Sabatka's son. So... You know, I think, um, and lock me up and throw throw away the key. You know, he gets he gets his jail sentence for for killing
1: for killing a George Gleekus double G. Yeah, yeah. And there's also a line in in the second verse of the song that says, "I'll bring you, I'll bring you ancient tales from distant lands, con- and contraband or something like that." And I'm like, that's a reference to the Greeks.
0: Yeah, just brilliant use of the song. I um, it was and, and 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 you you called it out, so it was a good 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 find. And um, thank you. And definitely an excellent song that they used. All right, so we're going to season three now.
1: All right, let's get it.
0: So um, our first song here, is, well, actually, we're going to talk about the opening credits. That is done by the ne- the Neville Brothers.
1: If you walk through the garden. And,
0: and what I like about this song is it's got kind of a... Um, r&b and then like r&b sound to it almost like you hear the you could hear like the the drums the percussion in the back it almost sounds like a little go-go as well
1: yeah and and funny they mentioned in season two they referenced that to go-go itself when uh stringer bell contracts those dc hitters to have d'angelo killed like how'd that dc game go same old you know how it is same old go-go same old bamas (laughs) like you going back down to dc i never go stand that go-go shit I know a I, I know a club in Oxon Hill that'll wreck y'all cuz you ain't heard it live. I'm like, "Wow." <laughs> I'm like, "Okay, okay, that's DMV shit, not just Baltimore shit."
0: <laughs> yeah, and um I I think it's cool. It's got um
1: David Simon or
0: No, no, I think the uh the the song is cool. Okay. Yeah, the, the, I like how um like it, it's uh got that real R&B feel to it. Um and I think the Neville brothers are from New Orleans, which is kind of cool because then you know David Simon does Tremé, yeah, which is you know uh, which
1: is in New Orleans post Katrina. Yeah,
0: so uh, really different, uh, re- a really cool you know uh, inclusion and um, song for season three for the opening credits.
1: Yeah, I did I did like it better than the Tom Waits version.
0: Yeah, and then we go to our next song in episode three, the Pogues, "The Body of Body of an American," which is uh, is played in the bar. After um, uh, Ray Ray, Ray Cole. Cole,
1: Detective Ray Cole, yeah, he dies. Uh, the actor that played him in real life, Robert F. Colesbury, he died from complications during open heart surgery. And Colesbury, the last thing he did for The Wire was, even though he's li- still listed as an executive producer or whatever, he directed the final episode in season two.
0: Yeah, and this was this was just a great tribute, uh, great tribute to him.
1: They had references to a lot of the shows that he, of the movies that he produced. Like, remember. The Mississippi extradition, uh, the arson burnings,
0: Mississippi burning, yeah,
1: yeah. After hours on Hudson Street, after yeah. hours from Scorsese. Okay, yeah, and they they made tribute to that when Lansman was uh, given his eulogy. Okay. Yeah, this is this is this was like this was like wow.
0: I think he also worked on homicide, right? Homicide
1: Mark? life on the streets, yeah. And then they,
0: they also pay a little I feel like a little bit of tribute to him with uh they have Belzer in the last what was it, the last couple of episodes he makes a cameo.
1: Yeah, they had John Munch, yeah, they had him in there in the I used to own a bar, it's not how it works. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but uh yeah, this is this is my, um, just brings the the wire up again into one of the top shows ever it in does, my yeah. mind. Because like you know,
1: and they're all all the cops in there, black, white, Hispanic, all singing this song in unison. It's like Baltimore tradition. Yeah. And oh, they they were all Irish at the at the wake. Yeah, you think it was St. Paddy's Day and the bar was Cavanaugh's.
0: <laughs> and and Landsman, uh, I think the actor who plays Landsman,
1: Delaney Williams, he, yeah,
0: does such a great job.
1: It's funny you got a you got a Jewish cop giving an Irish wake. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but uh, yeah, this is a good one, um, and I mean. And, it, it, sorry, go ahead, Simon.
1: Well, I'll let you go. I'll let you go on because I want to see something after that. It,
0: it, I was just going to say the lyrics kind of reference death, um, you know, in the room where, where the dead man lay. So, Big Jim Dwyer made his last trip to the shores where his father laid. Um, so, I mean, the obvious references to death there and then the wake. And then I. I i'm trying to understand the why they put him on the um on the pool table on the pool table is that a baltimore tradition or i think is this...
1: it is i think it is because they did it three times during the show when ray forster when he died in season four and as well as the actor who played him and Richard then for DeAndre. mcnulty at the end yeah for him at the end yeah but they all did it for irish cops though forster cole mcnulty yeah and like yeah
2: but the fact the fact that both Lester and Bunk were not just versed in the tradition, but they knew every word to the song, shows me that that's a, that's a cop tradition. I don't yeah. think it has to do with, with anything to do with uh, with skin color race.
1: That was my point. That was my point, Joey. You, when you yeah. see all the cops in there singing like that, it, like, it has nothing to do with race. All these dudes in there just know that song this is a cop tradition. Yeah. But Kima, Kima didn't know anything about it at all. Because when she heard that Ray Cole died, McNulty invited her down to the wake. He's like, "They got his body on the table like that? Really? Why?" <laughs> one last drink with the boys, and then when the scene when the scene cuts or whatever, and you see Bunk and McNulty outside, you hear another Pogue song, "Sally MacLennan." It's like a tribute to a, a dead friend or whatever. And Bunk, he's lamenting how McNulty never gave Cole the case back in season one, the case regarding uh, what was it? It was somebody in season one one of Omar's people, oh Stinkum, when Omar killed Stinkum, yeah, McNulty knew that it connected to his case, so he told Bunk to go over there and convince Ray Cole to give up the case.
0: Okay, gotcha. Yeah.
1: And, and and Bunk's like, he, he, he kicked he kicked out of here without you giving the clearance on that Omar thing, Jimmy. Oh, I know, I know. <laughs> um,
2: that was actually a spot on impersonation, by the way. Of yeah,
0: <laughs> I was just gonna say that.
2: Mm. <laughs> I heard that was, that was your best one yet.
1: Oh uh, well, I'm I'm gonna do a video later on just to show you what my best one is. Don't you worry. <laughs> yeah. Oh no
2: no no your your best one is from uh, Gary Oldman's Oh uh, monologue when he first meets Khalid, when he first meets Clarice.
1: Hannibal, yeah, that was fun to do.
0: Yeah, sorry, si, you're on fire today. <laughs> <laughs> so we go to our next song. Um in episode four by dj technics my life extra i like this one um house music yeah it's yeah it's the house house music and uh, this is the scene where Cuddy's cuddy
1: welcome home party
0: yeah and um just fits in perfectly with the scene you see a lot of uh drug use going on a lot of people partying and getting into kind of crazy stuff and then uh and then he walks into that room and uh, slim charles comes in and sen- essentially shotguns that uh that That blunt blunt with him him. yeah Yeah.
1: like kiss the sky nigga
0: and uh and you can just tell he's like you know he's kind of in nirvana he's 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 tripping out a little bit
1: he hasn't none of that in 14 years in jail yeah Yeah. so um he got bodie shamrock slim There, it's like shit is on and they got them girls coming in there to give him a give him a menage trilogy (laughs) and bodie's like you still do like females right
0: Bodie was the comic relief. I feel like in that scene, you know, <laughs> he was he's yeah. a, giving a veteran kind of shit. He's like, "Oh, he's, you know.
1: <laughs> He was giving him shit before when they first met, until he realized that he knew his brother.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think he kind of underestimated him a little bit, he's right?
1: Like, he's like, "Oh yeah, you a soldier, huh?" Bodhi, chill. Hey yo, you Bodie brought us. Yeah, what you want? I remember your little ass when you was in diapers. I used <laughs> to spar with your older brother James. He had a hell of a right hook. Then Bodhi just his tone just switched up. It's like, oh, oh. you. All uh, right, you cool then, okay.
0: <laughs> yeah. Then uh, this next song in episode nine by Outcast, The Way You Move, is so, I feel like it's perfect. Like, because remember the uh, oh
1: yeah <laughs> they try to shoot Omar and his grandmother
0: yeah <laughs> comic comic relief here man like with the with the song title the way you move
1: oh yeah and they they and they moved <laughs> considering the way they moved yeah they moved out pretty quick but she lost her church crown in the process
0: <laughs> he pushes her in the taxi she's like oh my lord <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. he sees him coming church sees day ch-
0: it's church day yeah yeah it's church day it's string church Sunday day. morning
1: Omar they shoots him yeah I do it do it do it again. and slim charles choose I mean, him out even avon didn't want him doing it
2: on church day
1: yeah yeah i mean the way but the way slim charles the way he admonished him he's like do you know what a colored lady is not your mama's that's for sure because if they was that y'all done known better than that bullshit y'all trifling with avon box their reputation here <laughs>
0: Another good, imp- another good impersonation.
1: <laughs> and Slim Charles, Big G, he's from he's from D.C. Part of Backyard, Go Go Band. I thought he was from Junkyard. Junkyard, Backyard. I go always get them confused. I saw one of them I at mean, Sidwell heard- Friends, or or what's it called, or Bullets back when we were in high school. Yeah.
0: Yeah. This um, this song is just perfect, though. I mean, it it. it Definitely hits on the comic release there with the uh, the way you move. The song title and Outcast was definitely uh, pretty popular around yeah, this, this time. Is,
1: this was two thousand four. Yeah, this is from Outcast's last album they did together, a Speaker Box, The Love Below, the double album. And this song, it, yeah, this is a sign of the times. That song was big in two thousand four because I remember they used it on Chappelle's Show, the the um the episode where he um did that making the band parody, and you see him as Farnsworth Bentley with the umbrella coming down from the sky, and this song is playing in the background too.
0: <laughs> yeah the um gotta love Chappelle show right
1: oh yeah oh yeah <laughs> and
0: then we go to our next song um this is uh
1: bob marley and the whalers oh i love this scene buffalo so- soldier i love this scene i love this scene it shows how marlo stanfield the new drug dealer in town just how crazy prepared that motherfucker is
0: yeah and do you remember what episode this is in uh i think it's like is it 10
1: maybe it how was episode an episode 10? avon gets shot in this episode i want to say and the same episode it's where Stringer reveals to Avon that he got D'Angelo killed at the end. Right. I think it's 10 or 9. Yeah. One of them. But one uh, of those.
0: But uh, yeah, but, this was – and then you see Snoop you know, trailing that guy. Yeah, and, that
1: Barksdale soldier, yeah, who ordered like four lake trout sandwiches, one with extra mayo, one extra hot, and four orange sodas. Yeah, and she's just she just – That's how she knew it was him. With him. I guess I guess yeah cuz what's it called she just goes out inside and just talks to talks to Chris he's like this clown ass nigga when got four standards, four souls you heard cool and Chris is like niggas don't roll out in the next 5 minutes we on to something cuz that chick that ate Marlo met in there um that Marlo met in the club Devon he was supposed to meet her at that at that lake trout joint but they wanted to scope it out to make sure it ain't no trap it turns out it was going to be a trap cuz Devon when she showed up she kept looking at the truck where that dude with the sandwiches came into. And then Chris is like, what, why does she keep looking there? And the, then it opens up. They throw out some litter. Then Chris is like, okay, that's them. Drive by the motherfucker slow.
0: Yeah, that scene was just crazy.
1: And Avon was in the truck, too. We didn't even know that. Avon, that just proves he's a soldier at heart. He was ready to get at Marlo.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that shotgun blast, man. Yeah. Into the into the, the truck.
1: Yeah, where they kill Avon's passenger. And he's like, yo, you hit? Nah, then drive, motherfucker, get out of here. <laughs>
2: Snoop was one of those ones that was cast from Baltimore, I think.
1: Yeah, she's from Baltimore. Sure, you can tell by her accent. I'm yeah, pretty sure she,
2: Yeah, because this is another thing, just kind of going back to what we were talking about in the beginning with the casting. I mean, I think that, like, of the extras and, like, the super supporting roles, I mean, the fact that you're able to find people that are actually able to translate what they say to the screen is kind of impressive. Because, I mean, like... and. You watch some of the finest actors of our time try to host Saturday Night Live.
1: Sorry, Joe, you went out there for a second. You went out for a second, Joey.
2: I was just saying, you know, I mean, like, I'm amazed that people who have no acting chops can go into something that is a dialogue heavy show and actually hold their own it is pretty impressive
1: it is it is especially remember snoop scene at the beginning of season four in that fake ass home depot i'm like that was that was very like that's one of the reasons why i still like tv
0: yeah but um so we go to our next song uh, episode eleven, Sam and Dave.
1: Oh yeah, where Muzone confronts Om- confronts Avon.
0: Yeah, and the and the barber shop, a place nobody can find. That's the name of the song? <laughs> <laughs> and I, and you could just see Avon was like, oh crap, I got to deal with this guy. So, and
1: the barber's like, y'all good? Because he probably had a gun with him too, just like in Belly, where the barbers always got guns. <laughs> like y'all good? Yeah, we good. All right, come on outside, boy.
0: <laughs> and you just knew, like, you know the, the that. Brother of his own made he meant business.
1: Yeah, that episode, Reformation, where he came back, he was coming back to get the dudes who, who led to his who led to him getting shot last season. And he knows it was a Barksdale because Stringer's dumbass gave it away. Yeah. And he knows Omar didn't do it. And, and, and this episode where he finally, no, that's the next episode, episode 12, the beginning of episode 12, where him and Omar had that Mexican standoff or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, but, but this scene right here with the Sam and Dave song, A Place Nobody Can Find, that's like the a barbershop, really, that that could be described as that easily, especially in the black community because that's the one spot you can go to that's like sanctuary, and it's been portrayed as such all throughout like different TV series. like Most recently, Marvel's Luke Cage on Netflix, well, fairly recently, they show in Harlem the barbershop, that's the one place where you can go to that's neutral grounds, you can talk about whatever and have a sit down, et cetera. Yeah.
0: yeah
2: didn't the barbershop in Cage get shot up,
1: though? Am I <sighs> making that up? Uh, you're not making that up, and you're right. A dick gets shot up. But um, but my point's still valid. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: I mean, so do you think there's some irony there of why they picked that song, a, nobody, a place nobody can find, because this is a place that, you know. Uh, like you
1: said in the lyrics, I'm going to sweet talk and tell you you're mine. And Brother Muzon basically came in there and basically telling Avon, you are mine. Business is what got you here now. With that alone, you still have a line to New York. Without yeah. it, you're done. And then you see Avon contemplating that. Then Buzon, he folds his arms up like, What's it going to be, motherfucker? Like, he wants to say that. <laughs>
0: yeah. 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 So, and he's not sweet talking him by any means. No, I mean, he's
1: basically making him clear what's going to happen if you don't give, me, give up Stringer Bell.
0: Yeah. He's like, You either, you either help me or, or, or I like cut him.
1: off your New York connection. Yeah.
0: He's like, You're done.
2: pretty much yeah but at, at this point they were already using prop joe's connect that was the one thing i never understood because they made it sound very clear that roberto had already cut them off so i don't understand why avon cared at that point to have a new york connect
1: not even not even the connect really i think it's image really it would hurt his image
2: Uh, I I just, that was, that one little piece, I've always been a little iffy on. Because, I mean, they were all, at that point, they were already already back in the game with the co-op.
1: Yeah, but Avon, I don't think he liked that very much. And plus, he had to deal with Marlo, too. It's like, I I suppose he probably thought once he takes care of Marlo, he can just break free independent of Prop Joe and the co-op and just get back to New York or whatever.
2: Yeah, it must be.
1: So
0: then we go to our
1: next Plus, at, sorry, at sorry, that Joe, point,
2: Stringer and Avon were both already starting. They were on the outs. To kind of, Not yeah, starting. They, they, you were already. tell they were going their separate ways.
1: They were already on the outs at that point, yeah, especially considering what really made it worse is when Stringer revealed to Avon that he got D'Angelo killed. And Avon, he was plotting in his head to get Stringer killed. Yeah, but at that point, Avon, or Stringer had already dimed him out to Bunny Colvin. But Avon didn't know that. They both snitch on each other without either one of them knowing. I mean, Avon gave I, up. I know, like that whole scene where they're in on the rooftop in this in episode eleven, where they're like, "We ain't got a dream no more, B." Just like we know that y'all betrayed each other, and it's like, wow.
0: Yeah, that, and and going back to a couple episodes we were talking about um, Avon and Stringer getting into that fight. You know, that fight when he tells he tells. Um, Avon. He tells Avon that he took out D'Angelo. I mean, that was like, whoa! I thought, I thought there was gonna be like a shootout or something, or somebody was gonna die.
1: <laughs> yeah, but Avon came at him when he had a bad arm after getting shot by Chris Partlow, so that gave Stringer an advantage. He was able to get him on the ground easily. And you see, when Str- when Idris Elba has has to do an intense scene like that, you see his English accent started slipping out. Yeah. Yeah. Like you want to talk that blood is thicker than water than nonsense. Talk that talk that blood is thicker than water. Shit, somebody else, nigga.
0: Another good impersonation. <laughs> but um. Yeah, so we go to episode 13.
1: Yeah, mission accomplished that episode, where Solomon Burke provides the series, the season ending montage for season three, Fast Train. And I gotta say, season three was my favorite of all the wire seasons. Hamsterdam legalization of drugs or whatever, or rather looking the other way, and all the and all the unfolding that we see with the police department and their relationship with City Hall and how they tried to spin Amsterdam, all that shit was brilliant. I just wish it didn't... I, wish, I just wish Bunny Colvin didn't get ousted from the police department the way he did.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I liked Bunny. He was
1: the... He's a smart one. Yeah.
2: Oh, he was always planning on leaving, but he lost his parachute at Hopkins, which I think was the part... That kind Durrell. of led into season four of what he was doing.
1: Yeah, security. Taking security job at a lower at a lower rate to make up for his like to make up for his uh decreased pension because they made him drop out at a lieutenant's pay grade, not a major. Yeah. And yeah, Colvin <laughs> Colvin was a smart because remember in the Comstat meeting in season three when Rawls and all of them tell them, like, what's it called? We want you to keep the stats at such and such level this year, the murder rate at that level. And then Colvin asks, Deputy, as familiar as we all are with the urban crime environment, I think we're all also aware that there are certain uh, processes by which you can reduce the number of overall felonies. For example, you can <laughs> unfound a robbery or reclassify an ag assault, but uh, how do you make a body disappear? And then Rawls looked like he was ready to get up and punch him for that comment. Yeah. And Burrell had to hold him back. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Well, I mean, and the Comstat was a really interesting piece of that because it shows not just how crime is represented, but how the police packages it to politicians and the public based on fudging stats and things like that. So, I mean, that was a really interesting look at just the way the police department has to show these things to the public, to the politicians that they represent, and just I mean, I really thought that that was a, a really kind of key underpart of this season, just the, the constant comstat meetings, them discussing how they can make the stats look good, And it's a the way Buddy let the stats go all the way up before he introduced Amsterdam 2 yeah. so he could prove his point. Yeah, like, that was the smart. The whole thing was, was a real interesting kind of subtextual look at just the way policing is done in this in urban environment. And the reason why it's not preventing crime, and the other it's thing, it's just kind of dealing
1: with it. And the other benefit of comps is it helps the cops weed out who the slackers are too. Because you saw how they did the poor fucking Marvin, <laughs> Marvin Taylor, the Eastern District.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, they
1: kept getting on him week after week, and you could see him sweating from the back of his neck.
0: Yeah, and then Burrell was like, "What? The gods are not going to save you."
1: Yeah, after after Rawls laid into Colvin for letting the stats go up, and he talked about the stripper. Give us a whiff of that muff and delivers my fucking stat sheets with the exact reduction exact we promised our mayor. I and
0: mean, you just know they're trying to flush the flush, flush the stats.
1: Yeah, they're trying to make the stats look good for the politicians, but, really.
0: But they know it's, it's just crap. I mean,
1: it is. They've been it, it, they all do it. Even when the concept meeting was over, Valchek, He's talking about I'll just juke some of the stats and give some of my guys overtime. <laughs> like he knows how to play the game. Yeah. Yeah. But so, the uh, the song itself from Solomon Burke. It was from his 2002 album, Don't Give Up On Me. And Solomon Burke was a former preacher and is considered one of the architects of American soul music, and he even wrote several songs for people too. But the way he this song was used in season three, it shows what's going on after Amsterdam was demolished, how the Western District cops, they didn't learn shit, Herc, Calicchio, and Truck are still ground, rounding up people and searching them and shit. McNulty, he joins the Western District after Daniels did tell him that after this case, you need to find a new home. You're done here. Yeah. But throws him an olive branch briefly saying, if I can work with you, if I can trust you, but Dan- but McNulty rejects and said, I need to go to the Western. You need yeah. to be less angry. <laughs> and what else happens? Uh, Marlowe, he's a new power in town at this point. He took over after Avon and all his people get put in jail and Bodie, he's the last Barksdale left standing at that point.
0: Who's kind Smith. of just like an independent.
1: Independent, yeah. Because Slim Charles, he goes to work directly for Prop Joe. Yeah. Um. What else? McNulty's walking the beat in the black neighborhoods as the Irish cop. Yeah. What else? Uh,
0: I think that's about. Nah, there's more.
1: Cuddy, the, his boxing gym, he got the money from Avon to do the right. boxing gym. And it's going better now. And Carver's becoming a better cop. But the funny part, (laughs) some of the funny parts I found in here was Tony Gray and Carchetti were their respective campaigns after the Hamsterdam fiasco. Yeah. Carchetti, he's a white politician campaigning in the black ghetto with the row houses in the background. Tony Gray's a black politician campaigning in the nicer, quote unquote, white areas. And Avon's trial, Avon's trial was where. Brianna, his sister, she basically gets up and leaves pretty much because she blames him for D'Angelo's death, even though it was Stringer's fault. And he he turns to go look at her, then turns the other way and sees Chris and Marlo for the first time. Wow.
2: Yeah, that's the first time and he, he just saw mouths the words, And he just mouths the words to him because he knows it's him. Yeah. He just and looks Marlo- back at him
1: and says, Marlo? And then Marlo nods. And then he knows the torch has been crowned. I mean, the 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 torch has been passed pretty much. Yeah. But Chris and Marlowe, the dudes were just so brazen showing up at his trial like that. It wasn't out of respect. It seemed to get put away.
0: Jeez. Those guys were...
1: They were brutal. Chris and Marlowe... Crazy. And Chris has to be ex-military the way he operates.
0: Yeah, that beatdown where, where of he... Michael's
1: father? Yeah. Oh, yeah. He went to... I think he went, he went to Gaithersburg High School, the actor that plays Chris, uh, Benga Akinabe.
0: Yeah, when you hear him speak, oh my, he doesn't sound anything like Chris. I mean, he—I it's like, it's so shocking. Like when, he, like when he sound like he, Chris? When he does interviews. He played
2: a reverend in The Good Wife, which is a sneaky, yeah, really good show, by the way. And he was I old. mean, these, these actors, the accent work in this show is some of the most incredible stuff that I've ever seen. Because, I mean, the fact that you mentioned, like in that one scene, Stringer Bell's accent goes a little bit. But I mean, I have no idea who Idris Elba was back then. Yeah, and me I mean, you, I mean, him, McNulty, both of them English. Carcetti's Irish or Scottish or whatever Irish. the hell he is. I mean, half the, the people in there are from the United Kingdom, and you have no idea. Half the street people are putting on accents, which are so spot on. And Baltimore has a very distinctive accent for both the black guys and the white guys. So I mean, it's, it's incredible the dialect work that that went into
1: the show. Yeah. No question. No question, man. I have to agree,
0: Joey. I mean, it's, it's incredible. The work that was done by uh, Dominic West and uh, the guy who plays Chris. I mean, when you, I heard him do an interview, I just, it was like, what? Like, he's like, He didn't even sound like he didn't
1: even sound like Chris Partlow like like his his act.
0: Yeah, it just didn't even sound like it at all. And I'm like, that's when you know it's good acting. Yeah, he
1: he went to school for acting too. And the funny thing is, he got his he actually got his start on the Wire in the very first episode by playing one of the guards in the um in D'Angelo's trial in the courtroom. Right. He, He was one of the guards in there. Benga Akinabe. He was.
0: Yeah, and Michael B. Jordan. That's how he got really his his start too. He got his
1: start there too. Yeah, I mean, he's like one of the most famous people to come out from the Wire. Yeah. He was like eleven, twelve, 12 or 13 when he did that.
0: Yeah. It's just the, like you I'm... said, Joey, the acting, the, the accent work and the acting has just been phenomenal.
1: Although from the New York, New Jersey actors that they got on the show, they let them keep their accents for the most part. I mean, like Herc and Carve, they're from NYC. Uh, the guy that plays Lester Freeman, uh, Bodie, Wallace, Ed Norris. Yeah, yeah. They're all from New York. Yeah. I will
2: slightly disagree with you, though, just because I do think that at this point, although Michael B. Jordan is a gigantic movie star, I think Idris Elba may have a slight notch above him just on notoriety. And, I mean, there's talk about him being the next James Bond.
1: Which I'm all for. I'm all for, because James Bond's just a name
2: anyway. uh, You know, hmm. I I, I think that Idris Elba is born... To play James Bond.
0: Yeah, I can see that and I agree with you, Joey. I think it'll be really, it'll be a really interesting, I guess, transition for the franchise, right?
1: There will be, yes. I mean, they never had a Bond who's a person of color before, so we'll see how people react to yeah, that. Yeah, but
2: they never had a, they never had a James Bond who was blonde until they had Daniel Craig. People can get over it. I mean, we're past that in this society. Well, yeah, I,
1: I, we, the three of us are. Yeah, but some some viewers, the odds are somebody is gonna is gonna complain even though they shouldn't. Somebody always does. Oh, of
2: course they are. I mean, they complained when Ursula was cast by somebody who was skinny for the new the new uh, Little Mermaid live action remake. Yeah, nobody's ever gonna be happy. But I mean, this is one of those things where you look at him and you're just like, one. I'm not sure if you guys watch Luther. But that has been my favorite show to come out of, like, the BBC world. That show is phenomenal.
1: It was good. And interest Elba deserved his Emmys that he got for that show, most death. I mean, he is just
2: phenomenal. And then you have, you know, Dominic West, who has done some interesting things. The Affair is what he's currently doing. Yeah, The Affair. But he was in a show that was one of the few BBC shows that was canceled. It was like a communist scare era, um, like, nightly news show. And, I mean, it's just – he is just – he's a phenomenal actor. These guys have such range that they did in that show and come back and be able to do, like, traditional acting and theater work. And, you know, we talked about a lot of these guys coming from the theater. Yeah. It's, it's really a testament to just the casting of what they were able to put together with this team.
1: I agree. I agree. stage and theater actors, they work better than – they work better than any big-name movie stars because – this show and its realism it requires an almost like a direct interaction with the audience, the same way a, st- a theater or a stage actor does.
0: Yeah. All season right. four. Season four. All right. Opening credits by a group called Domage, way down in the hole. Uh, love, love this, and really how they used it because it does kind of play off the 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 school youth uh, kind of theme for this season. And I think I think they actually just picked five teenagers um
1: from Baltimore, yeah.
0: Yeah. And they just um Yeah, I mean, essentially just picked them and, and they use
1: them to parallel because of the theme of education and the four boys that the that the season was going to be focusing on for this season. Honestly, this one is my least favorite version of Way Down in the Hole. Yeah. Yeah. I well. The one I, the one I, the one I remember the less because even though I don't like the Tom Waits version, it still stands out to me more because of his vocals.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um. And I, yeah. It's.
1: It's. I mean, this season four, the theme of education. They even begin with that in the opening scene of the season with Snoop in the Home Depot, and she's learning about that gunpowder nail gun or whatever. Yeah. And then she schools the guy in her hood accent or whatever talking about, I seen a nigga get, get knocked down by a 22 Derringer. How much I owe you for this? Yeah. And she overpays and gives him a $100 tip. So what? You earned that butt like motherfucker. You keep that shit.
0: Yeah. Yeah. This was, um, I, I, I did think, uh, I did think it, it probably isn't my favorite opening credits, but it, it definitely works well with the education theme and the, the theme of the, you know, youths and Baltimore youths, but, yeah. uh
1: and when we find out that like the education game is no different than the police stat game pretty much
0: yeah so um so then we go on to what our next song here in episode 1 dead meadow at her door um so this is played when essentially the car car pulls up to the the corner and then Bodie ends up yelling at Naaman Neman to to pay attention
1: yeah, Naaman Bryce. He only took on he only took on Naaman because out of loyalty to Naaman's father, WeeBay. Yeah, but Naaman is not built for the game. He's like he's like D'Angelo. He may have been born into it, but you're not built for it.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, um, this is actually I think a, a DC rock band. Um, I like the the title name at her door. I mean, yeah. it just it fits well it's, with the it's car on the, pulling up. It's
1: pretty much on the nose. Yeah, it is it's with yeah. the scene. Yeah. So. Um,
0: Yep, and then uh, I'm trying to. Th- if we look at the lyrics here, she she uh, she shines like boundless light. Though she calls quietly, no, she'll take it all. It's all right. It's all I need. And it it has a the dr- reference a drug to drugs. Dealer,
1: drug dealers. Drug dealers to the sound of the a woman.
0: Yeah. Um. Then we go to our next one, which is.
1: Uh, Isley Brothers.
0: Isley Brothers, yeah. So it's um. Uh,
1: this old heart of mine this is old, weak for you.
0: Yep. This whole this uh this old heart of mine is weak for you. And this is played when um
1: Bunk and Lester yeah, are and talk in, about in the bar talking about women. And Bunk just gave the lesson the legendary. What's the plural of pussy? pussy? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That w- that was funny. And then um and Bunk has a weakness for women. But Lester, he already got Chardine at home. Yeah. yeah. So Lester, he's a he's he ain't gonna be cheating, not when he got all that ass at home. But well, then again, <laughs> then again, Bunk and, and McNulty they cheated on their wives, and their wives were already straight.
0: Yeah. So, uh, but uh, we look at the lyrics here. Always half a kiss. You remind me of what I miss, though. I try to control myself like a fool. I start grinning because my head starts spinning. Because. So I think it definitely matches up, like you said, again with the scene. Um, Bunk is, you know, eyeing that that. Is this is is this played before? Um, is this when he lights his clothes on fire?
1: This season one was when he lights his clothes. Okay, on fire. Okay, never mind. Yeah, um, yeah. Like you don't smell pussy? I don't smell no pussy no more, Jimmy. <laughs> Trace Lab ain't gonna have shit on the bunk.
0: Yeah. Um. Let me go to next next episode. Or was it episode eight? Paula Campbell uh, won't love you back. So this is played. Um, it's played at the liquor store. Um. I think that's when... um, Yeah, Bunk is...
1: This is after Old Face Andre got robbed or whatever by Omar? Yeah. Okay, yeah. And like Old Face Andre, don't nobody got no love for him. Nobody loves him back no matter what he does for them. Like he's basically a front for Marlo's drug operations or whatever. Yeah. Omar robs him. He goes to Marlo, try to plead his case, but Marlo just takes his ring as punishment and bluntly tells him, Omar ain't no terrorist, just another nigga with a gun. And you... You ain't Delta, you ain't you ain't Delta Force or whatever. Just a yeah. nigga that had your shit took. So talk that global economy mess elsewhere and get me my money.
0: <laughs> and I was like, I was surprised. I mean, Joe, I, are you still there? I think I think we may have lost him, oh. but uh, yeah.
2: <laughs> okay, technology, continue. right? Yeah,
0: yeah, but um, yeah, this is played, and and uh, you really you really see how Bonk Moreland's just a great cop because he just smells bullshit all over this, right? Yeah, like, he does. Yeah. So um he's not showing him any love back, right? And I think it fits well with the uh with the song title. So
1: it fits well with the song title and Andre's theme in general about himself. Yeah. So um
0: then we go to I think actually you know what I wanted to say make one more one more note about this. I, Paula Campbell is actually a Baltimore
1: yeah, local a, artist. She's a singer from Baltimore. I heard of her after the show ended really. Okay. Yeah, I didn't I didn't even, well, they use a lot of people in there as, as both the, to lend, they use a lot of Baltimore people to lend authenticity to the show. Yeah. 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 Be it from like politics, uh, music, culture, whatever.
0: Yeah. Yep. And I I think that's cool too. I mean, it adds to the Baltimore kind of feel for the show, right? It, it does. Yes. And we, we see that later, you know, um, a bunch of other different hip hop artists that are from Baltimore, Ray Cash and what, well, you know. Who we'll talk about in just a second, but um, then we go to our next song. It's in episode nine. Her- Harold, uh, excuse me, Harold Melvin and the Blue Notes. Don't leave me like this. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah, this this this, is, this this
0: this works too. This was this works perfectly with this scene.
1: Oh yeah, it does.
0: Yeah, um, because uh, essentially, Old Face Andre is pleading for his life, essentially, in front of uh in front of
1: Prop Joe. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And he won't, he won't hide him. Yet. He won't
1: hide him Yeah. He'll take his money, though, and take a store for, like, take a store for less than it's actually worth. Yeah. And, but then he's really just giving him up to Marlo, which we find out at the end of the episode. Yeah. But he's like, Chris, come on, man, not in here. No, it's in here is fine, it's here, it's fine. Well, but my peoples, but my peoples, I got your back. <laughs> like this, I'm like, when you kill people before in the vacant, that's scary, but this is the first time it's funny.
0: Yeah, but, and it's bad because you know what's going to happen.
1: Yeah. You know what's gonna happen, yeah. <laughs> I thought you I thought you was my deliver. And then Slim Charles be like, and a man is speaking that be true. <laughs>
0: oh, damn. Slim Charles, man. Mm-hmm. Gotta love him. And um, yeah, this just works perfectly. And then the, with the lyrics too, don't don't leave me this way now, don't leave me this way. <laughs> don't
1: leave me this way with the rats in the vacants.
0: <laughs> yeah. I'm a broken man with empty hands. Oh baby, please, please don't leave me this way.
1: Broken man with empty hands, and you ain't got no rings on your finger no more. That's what it is. <laughs>
0: Because they took him, right? It yeah, was they Marlo. took.
1: Yeah, Marlo took his ring. Then Omar took it from Marlo. Then Officer Walk, Walker took it from Omar. Michael takes it from Officer Walker. Then Michael keeps it. Wow. He offered it back to Marlo. I was like, "Nah, you keep it, shorty." <laughs> it had no value, really. It's just that to show how things like that can transfer from people to people.
0: Yeah. Then we go to our next song by Ray Cash, "Dope Game." It's in episode ten. Um you know, actually, I misspoke here. He's not. Ray Cash is. Um, he's, he's from not, Cleveland. He's from Cleveland. He's not from Baltimore. <laughs> Sorry about that. Sorry. Right. Um, But, you know, it's played in the background, essentially, when little Kevin tries to explain his story to uh, to Marlo. Remember that? And yeah. He
1: set himself up, though. He revealed too much that got him killed. If he never said that he involved Randy, he'd probably still be alive.
0: Yeah. Well, he ends up. Randy actually ends up getting, you know, his
1: life ruined. Yeah, because of as Kevin. well. Yeah. Because of Kevin and Herc. Herc is stupid as hell.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean what, were, what are they thinking? What were they
1: thinking? Yeah, even even Sidner, when they were interrogating little Kevin, and then what's it called? And then Herc gives it away that they know about Randy. Sidner just walks out of the room in disgust. Yeah. He's like, you know what makes an interrogation work? Leverage.
0: <laughs> but um this this one. Yeah, this was uh you just knew it was going to happen, and I guess Bodie had essentially gave, given him some bad, bad
1: advice pretty much. Told, go tell Marlo to square things away, which is the right thing to do considering how Marlo is, but he revealed too much. Because to go when he told him that about what happened to Lex, when he said, and nah, I told Randy to go up there and tell Lex that, and then Chris points out, nah, you were supposed to go do that. Yeah. So I think they really killed him just for not following orders down in the letter. Yeah. Because he didn't snitch at all. Yeah, no, I mean, it, yeah, he didn't follow orders down the letter, and Marlow considers that disrespect. He was sensitive, Marlow.
0: Yeah, I mean, he just he would just get rid of people. Remember, like when Bodie, when, yeah, or he would just get rid of people because he didn't like them.
1: Yeah, it's like he don't kill people because it's business. He do it because it's natural. Do it just to do it. Yeah, and I mean the, the security, security guard. guard. That's what I was. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he 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 go to the security guard and get in his face though. He stole the the lollipops or whatever to make up for all the money he lost at the card game or whatever. Yeah, and then like he would go to the security guard and doing that.
0: And then he ends up taking him out. He puts him in one of the vacants, right? Pretty much, yeah. Yeah, he, dude, he's ruthless. Petty, but I lo- I think Jamie Hector did a great job.
1: And people think that, that that didn't take much to do a job like that, but nah, that kind of minimalism and self control it takes a lot.
0: And what's he, I think even cooler about that is when you look at Omar Little, he you know Michael K Williams has that scar going down the front of his face, and Jamie
1: Hector has a scar in his mouth too.
0: Right. I was just like, wow, that authenticity, like, and
1: they and they're both from Brooklyn.
0: Yeah, and Jamie Hector is also in another show, show called Bosch
1: on a uh, on Amazon.
0: Yeah, he's really good in it. It's just it's a different kind of look, though, right? I mean, yeah, because
1: Hector's a good actor. He's underrated. He's been on Heroes, Power. Yeah. Um, what else? He was in He Got Game. Okay. Yeah, briefly as one of, as one of those I love you leeches in in in, in the in the movie. And
0: it, it, he he always creeped me out playing Marlowe Marlo. because like he would look. His eyes were like kind of. fixated yeah they were like they wouldn't even look straight sometimes sometimes they'd be like crooked and
1: serene or something like that yeah it's like the scene where he where prop joe gets killed the way he's looking at him like
0: like yeah he's
1: transfixed yeah like you ain't never it's not like you ain't never seen a dead body before yeah or i guess he's realizing that with you out of the way i'm finally king
0: yeah he was kind of like wooing him to sleep it was a weird before he shot him you know
1: it won't hurt none it won't hurt none he never does that for none of his victims yeah it's always crispy like don't fret boss i got you covered Quick and clean, I promise, and shoots him dead. Yeah. Yeah, but like Marlo, he, he has all the traits of a sociopath, clearly.
0: Yeah, definitely. Definitely. <laughs> but um, so we go to our next song here by Paul Weller. It's in
1: episode 13. Final Grades, the final episode of season four. Yeah, it was used in the montage. It was used right after the scene where Michael, where Michael finally makes his first kill. Right. And Chris is like, you can look him in the eye now. No matter who he is or what he's done, you always look him in the eye. And then the music drops. He has a guitar, with a guitar riff, and we see Colvin and WeeBay in jail together. Well, not, I mean, WeeBay and his son, Naaman, in jail together. Right. Naaman, he's explaining to Naaman that you're going to live with Colvin. He's going to take care of you, but I'm still your father. And they hug each other. But another, another interesting thing about that scene, it testifies to why WeeBay trusts Colvin. Because Colvin knew the Barksdales when they were juveniles. Right. They, that was revealed or alluded to in season two when he calls Stringer Bell by Russell. Yeah. And when Stringer leaps up in surprise when one of his soldiers told him that Colvin was the one behind Hamster, he's like, Colvin? Yeah. And then WeeBay reveals in this episode that he's like, I remember you. You was a roly on Pensy and Fremont. It's
0: crazy how everything's connected. Like it,
1: it is. Yeah. Like Characters you think didn't have no connection. It's like you do. And it makes more sense why Colvin views the drug game the way he does.
0: Right. And and like I walk on Gilded Splinters. Do you think there's anything to that song title in terms of?
1: Yes. In terms of what we've seen all season, how they're all willing to do whatever to get what they want. Marlo is willing to spy on Prop Joe at this point to learn about the connect and, and is willing to get anybody out of his way. As we've seen throughout the whole season. He doesn't care if he has to ruin a kid's life just to make a point like he did with Randy. Yeah. He'll do whatever. And a Rawls, he proved to play both sides of the fence politically when he was working, when he was telling Carquetti about uh, the dude in the wheelchair, Odell Watkins, the councilman, splitting from, uh, splitting from Royce.
0: Yeah. He's
1: playing both sides of the fence to get what he wants. Burrell figured it out and shut him down, though. Daniels becomes Major. Um, Randy... He, him too. He was willing to do whatever for money at one point too. Yeah. Because remember when he took the money from uh from little Kevin. Yeah. To go tell Lex that or whatever, and that was it. Was his own downfall right there.
0: Yeah. Well, I think he was a little reluctant to do it at first. Right? At
1: first, yeah. Until he paid for his, until he paid him extra for some candy.
0: Yeah. And then, crazy enough, those two guys ended up dead. Lex and
1: Lex, little Kevin, yeah, yeah, by the same people.
0: Yeah, because Lex
1: went and killed Fruit, right? Like, yeah, one of Marlo's people. Yeah. Yeah. But what else is going on in here though? Like, uh, Herc, he, his stupid ass, he was doing whatever this whole season too. After he got promoted to sergeant, yeah. stealing the camera, fucking up Randy's life, Bubbles letting him get beat, and then Bubbles turned the table on him by calling that minister on him or whatever.
0: Yeah, I, I think the title kind of cool. I walk on gilded splinters. Oh yeah, because like you remember, remember when Bubbles was talking about uh, was talking to um, Sidnor about putting together his like um, his
1: look or whatever for going undercover.
0: Yeah. He was like, you have to have the you dead have soldiers have, on your feet. Yeah. The dead soldiers. That's, that's what this kind of reminds me of a little bit. That's it, a good point. You know, it's not necessarily like the gel caps that they're stepping on, but it is kind of like, I mean, it, it, it is kind of have a reference to a, a, a characteristic of the environment. It in is the show. a show.
1: It is a parallel to it. Yeah, the, it is. Yeah.
0: So um, I just like, I think that's pretty cool how they chose that
1: song. Um, oh, it definitely is. Yeah. And I think that, um, and the ending of it too, with Naaman making it out of the hood and seeing Donuts still stealing cars, he makes a stop at the stop sign and they nod at each other like <laughs> lost innocence. Yeah. But then again, you made it out of Naaman, so you don't have to go back to that at all.
0: Yeah. Yeah. There's like, it's kind of essentially a symbol of hope, you know? Uh
1: huh. Yeah. yeah. I mean, even with all this whole season, the season four, it was the most, it's the hardest one for me to watch personally because yeah. of what those kids went through and how they all end up at the end. Yeah. Like the one who's least likely to make it out, he does make it out. Michael, he's made his transition from full-fledged killer now and Dookie's right behind him. Right. And Randy, he just wanted to he just wanted to make business and make money really the right way and he gets fucked up at the end. And when we see him in season 5 how hardened he is. Yeah. I'm like that's what makes either a Bodie or a Marlo.
0: Yeah. And I think Randy would, when you look at it, probably would have been successful if he had just, you know, not.
1: Yeah, he would have been a stringer bell maybe.
0: Yeah, because he he seemed like he was doing okay in school, and you know he. Mm-hmm. But it's just tragic what happened to you know, I guess his his mom's house got firebombed and yeah, then. Yeah,
1: and he's Cheese Wagstaff's illegitimate son.
0: Ah, uh, okay, I didn't remember that.
1: Yeah, Randy Wagstaff—that's his name. But David Simon revealed behind the credits, really, that yeah, he's Cheese's son actually.
0: Wow, well, that's that's I never knew that. Oh, wow! All right, so we go into the final season, season five.
1: The newspapers.
0: I love this season. I I I, Just, I would be one of the maybe one of the rare people that said I love the season five.
1: Season five made me laugh all throughout when McNulty did that fake serial killer thing and all the <laughs> all the hilarity that ensued. Even the people, the characters in the show, saw the joke for what it was. Like Norman Wilson. Yeah, he's like. I wish I could write, a, sell out the paper so I could write on this shit. This shit's too good.
0: <laughs> yeah. He's like, Norman, this is my ass. You're... <laughs> That's
1: true, boss, but it does have a certain charm to it.
0: <laughs> He's like, everybody's trying to get, everybody's <laughs> trying to get what they want.
1: Behind some make-believe. Yeah. <laughs> he was great. The guy was, who played Norman. Yeah, may he rest in peace, Reggie Cathy.
0: Yeah, he was, he was phenomenal. I mean, he, he just brought a lot of humor to the, to that, to that role and to the. Yeah, <laughs> to dry, the show. Humor, dry
1: humor, yeah. I
0: love the, the voice that McDulty used when he's like, disrespect me in front of my father. Hey, you.
1: What do you get off, you sick little twist? You <laughs> mortify, mortify me like that in front of my father's father?
0: Oh, yeah, you mortify me in front of my father? <laughs> mm
1: hmm. It's going to happen, Scotty, Bat- Boom Batty, Crack Daddy. You ain't never going to find him no more. <laughs> <laughs> it's so Biting's funny. not biting, it's sexual.
0: <laughs> when they film him in the closet, like doing the doing that call, yeah. and then
1: like the guy who gets it is in the next room. Holly gets it in the next Holly room. In yeah. the next room. It
0: was it was so
1: funny. It is and it's he's out of the docks waiting, waiting for they be able to put the phone inside the inside the aluminum foil or whatever to keep the cops from tracing it. Yeah, and he's like, I'm a cop. Do you see anybody? No, but it could be anybody. Arrest them all. <laughs> they start doing that, and he bounces out. He just backs out of the scene immediately. <laughs> he, he's like, a,
0: it's like that little meme, like, you know, the Homer Simpson meme yes. where, like, he goes into the, the bushes. <laughs> yes, yeah, like, that's oh, okay, exactly right. out of here. <laughs> that was great man season five is just so funny it's, yeah the,
1: the opening the opening scene where they got that confession out of that perp or whatever by hooking his hand up to a copy machine <laughs> and having and have and bring his boy by like he did, like he got mcdonald's as a reward for snitching and how daniel i mean a uh, bunk uh norris crutchfield landsman the new guy christensen they were all in on it yeah <laughs> <laughs> like we ready professor yeah hold on a second <laughs> they tricked the guy they tricked the guy yeah and then like the bigger the lie the more they believe yeah yeah that is that is the truth that was the truth of the whole season
0: so steve earle does opening credits for season five which i didn't even know
1: i like this i like this one i like I, his version i
0: did like his version um i didn't even know it was him though
1: like, yeah he had it on his album uh washington square serenade i think it was called back in the early 2000s
0: yeah but it's it's really good. It's got like a bluesy
1: electronic feel to it. Yeah, yeah. Almost like almost like how Eric Clapton's music was updated in the '90s, early 2000s. Yeah, incorporating like electronic uh, elements.
0: And it's got like kind of a metropolitan feel to it, like city feel, like now, which now, I think kind of yeah, with and with the electric synths and the beats. Mm-hmm. And, and with the theme of the newspapers, I feel like it kind of just like goes – it feels like something you would kind of hear in like like Law and Order or something. Or... It would.
1: Yeah, it would, especially in the opening credits where like the the scene in the opening credits where they stop right in the middle of the bridge and the, and the Stanfield car that Omar blew up just explodes. Yeah. We don't know what that's about until like episode five I think it was.
0: Yeah. That's what I love about the opening credits too is that they, they took scenes from the season, the montage, like yeah. cut scenes and and put them into the, the title. They,
1: they've already filmed, yeah. Yeah, like we don't know where they fit in until later, but we catch it later on.
0: Well, yeah, which I think is another brilliant part of the the, the show. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, this is a good this is a good one. And um, you know, Steve is actually in the show. Steve Earl
1: is is uh, Waylon. Waylon. And um, the definitely scene, plays
0: a bigger role in season five. I think
1: he does. Yeah, I mean, he was had one or two episodes in season one, one episode in season four. The ending where he goes to bring Kima to see bubbles. And then most of this season, the final season, he's Bubble's sponsor and encourages him to finally, finally let go of his grief.
0: Yeah. Then we go to episode four. Trouble. Uh, I'm sorry. Um, next song is from episode four. Trouble Funk. Drop the bomb.
1: Oh, which is that's a brilliant way. Like, what's it called? Put a DC song on, on an actor who's a DC native.
0: Yeah. And essentially, uh, Omar does drop the drop the bomb on on uh, Slim with the uh, he hits him up, upside the head with his pistol. He yeah. Pistol whips him.
1: Uh huh. Yeah, he does trying to get information about who killed Butchie. But Slim, he persuades Omar, rightly persuades him that Prop Joe and him didn't have nothing to do with it. Like if if, if Joe could turn Butchie, I would tell you, shit, I'd help you even. But yeah. it just ain't like that.
0: Yeah, that was terrible. What happened when they. He executed killed. Butchie. The way they
1: shot him, yeah. They, I mean, they tortured him in the back. They shot him in the nuts.
0: Yeah. I mean, what the hell is wrong the, with that?
1: Yeah. What's it called? He, he, but with? Like, it's like Chris said. You a tough old man. He would not snitch. Yeah. And a lot of Omar's people wouldn't snitch on him. Brandon didn't snitch no matter what they did. Yeah. Dante, well, he did snitch. And he didn't even look like he got much done to him.
0: Yeah. What happened to Dante?
1: Dante was beaten by Brother Muzon and his henchman, Lamar. Then when we see him, he just has a few marks on his face. Right. Yeah, but if, if that's why Omar broke up with him. He's like, you can't take that then. Yeah, we don't need to be together.
0: Oh, yeah. I forgot about that part.
1: He, he looked at him in disappointment after he came and pick him up after, the, after they killed Stringer. Right. And then Lamar's looking in there talking about gay ass gangsters. <laughs>
0: Then doesn't Lamar, Lamar gets beat up by Omar, right? When he, he gets when, knocked
1: out by Omar, yeah, in season two when he, Omar goes to kill brother Muzon, who's staying in that motel room.
0: Yeah, he, he shoots him, him
1: in the gut, right? He just hits him with, he, the same way he hit his Slim Charles in this scene, yeah. he hit Lamar with a gun. but only difference is he knocked out Lamar. Yeah, he didn't
0: kill him, but then he shot, he shot brother Muzon in the stomach. And still saved his life, too. <sighs> yeah, which was crazy. He, um,
1: yeah, Omar knows when someone's telling the truth, I guess.
0: Yeah. So um, go to the next song here in episode five, Curtis Mayfield and the Impressions, uh, Gypsy Woman.
1: This is funny one because in season one, when a landsman, he's fucking around with uh, Michael Santangelo because Rawls, he's made, Rawls has made Santangelo solve one of his old cases and can't do shit until he solves a case. So, Lansman decides to fuck with him, right? <clears throat> she was a gypsy woman. Give me the card, Ray. Give me the card. The <laughs> Madame LaRue card. <laughs> and she decides to fuck with him, uh, Santangelo, by giving him a gyp- uh, a fortune teller's card. Yeah. Yeah. Th- so, he was singing those lyrics back then, and they bring the actual song. They bring the actual song in season five.
0: Yeah, and that's when, when Omar's sitting outside in the car with- um Black Donnie. Yeah, Donnie. I knew, his, I knew his name started with a D. I just couldn't remember it like earlier in the podcast. But
1: yeah, they're waiting outside Monk's apartment to hit the um to hit the, the Stanfield crew.
0: Yeah. And I think this song is very appropriate because Omar is Omar's kind of like, you know, he's kind of like a gypsy, right? He doesn't have like one place that he stays at. He kind of rolls around.
1: Like he said in season two when they asked him, where do you live? Oh, I'm in the wind right now, so to speak.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So I think this song title just works yeah. perfectly and it just works perfectly with the scene. And and I I believe Donnie was the same situation, right? I mean, yeah. he's he's uh, kind of a, a guy that is in the wind as well. In
1: the wind, yeah, that's right.
0: And comes back and helps Omar, you know, take out the uh, yeah, try won- to take out mu- the the muscle.
1: Yeah, he wanted. He said, "I want in on that shit. Nah, this on me." But you don't know those people. All right, you're in. <laughs> he helped him before too, right? Yeah, he helped him before when he was in jail. Yeah, Butchie Butchie always had his people help Omar. Yeah.
0: Then we go to Sweet
1: Jesus, I'm gonna work them.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, we go to um, Boss Man. Uh, it says Ayo.
1: A- 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 yeah. This was um, this was in episode seven. Oh yes, it was. Yeah, when um, Omar he's on crutches and goes to strike fear into the Stanfield Corner Boys.
0: Yeah. After he jumps out of the Jim jumps off that
1: balcony. Yeah. After he jumps out the balcony, he's Rakes still his- going around terrorizing all of them though. You see him wearing. And the funny part about it is he was hiding the building the whole time. They still, and they didn't even think to look there.
0: Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah,
1: it is. It is. And, and when we see him again, after he leaves the building, we see the first time we see him again is when he blows up the car. Yeah. He shoots the bar, so it was a shotgun. It's like, you tell Marlo who wills it blew the money. You tell him he ain't man of the guy to see Omar. You tell him that. Yeah. And he goes and he goes to one of their stash houses gets gets rid of all the drugs and then finally we see him here against michael and his people
0: yeah which is really cool because michael ends up turning into into omar Omar
1: taking up his role in the street game yeah
0: yeah so like that's another part where everything connects right like Mm -hmm. and and they're they're both in the same scene they are it's really cool
1: it is for the first time well especially considering how season four When Omar and Ronaldo are spying on Marlowe, and Omar learns who Marlowe is in that scene, the dude he robbed at the card game, and they look at all the players in there, then Ronaldo's like, Papi, who is that? Points to Michael. He's like, It's just a kid. Yeah. No, that's not just a kid, dude. That's your successor.
0: Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. And, um, like AO, I guess, is, you know, slang for, for hey, you. It's Baltimore slang, yeah. Yeah. And, um, there's a lot of references to Baltimore in the lyrics on the avenue down in Bmore, mm-hmm. where they average a body getting blown for every day of the year. This is the land of the O, oh, the murder capital, boo. So, yeah, I mean, I think it works really well with this scene. And, it does, um, yeah.
1: The beat was just really bouncing and loud. You hear it in the background, too. Yeah. And you think Omar's going to do something, but nah. And nobody in the nobody else sees Omar at all. It's just he's the Stanfield boys he's fucking with gets him all up against the wall michael is shook michael's scared yeah but the only one who wasn't scared is canard yeah idolized omar in season three but now now that he sees him face to face all broken and shit yeah it's like it's like his illusions are shattered like i don't respect him that's him yeah he's like gimpy motherfucker Fucker. gimpy as a motherfucker <laughs>
0: gimpy as a motherfucker
1: and he wasn't even running away when all the other kids were around him when he was trying to light that cat on fire yeah, yeah all the kids ran away but canard just sat right there just just like, i don't give a fuck fuck him
0: yeah yeah, and then he ends up shooting him
1: and going to jail for it, probably too.
0: I love it when Michael Michael beat him up though.
1: Michael just punched him ten times in the face, and you hear somebody in the background, yeah. "Yo, look at that little nigga getting his ass beat." You <laughs> <laughs> was taking too goddamn long. Come on, Nate, get your package off this bitch so we can go. No, nah, oh, I don't want anymore. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah the uh that was great he was like
0: look at that kid getting his ass kicked They're <laughs> mm-hmm. all
1: just sitting there laughing he got his ass beat for sure but it, it would have got him in line <laughs> yeah it sure did
0: but and it was so satisfying because you know he, he ends up killing omar uh, omar later yeah and and it's like he finally, somebody he some somebody gets some revenge on that
1: guy, right? I yeah. mean, I know it happens before. I know it happens before. Yeah, but it's like, but it's like it's kind of satisfying. Kennard was a bad motherfucker. Well, the one scene I did like him was when he fooled Colicchio with that bag of shit. <laughs> oh. oh, I'm like that was fucked up, but but he deserved that shit. <laughs> yeah, Colicchio
0: so was uh, out of control, man. He was a
1: bad cop. He's too. Yeah, he was a brutal police officer.
0: And then, uh, he, and then I guess that actor ends up showing up in uh generation kill benjamin
1: like, bosch i think his name is yeah he
0: plays the mate he's like a major i think in generation kill
1: i think he really was military at one point
0: yeah he looks he definitely looks like it looks it, at,
1: yeah. and the, what he brings the role to it's yeah. like the character may have been ex-military before he became a cop
0: yeah all right so then we go into our next song by t-pain bartender in episode nine with that
1: auto motion with that Auto motion. What, what the hell is it called? Auto tune. Auto tune. Yeah. Yeah. You could hear it all up in the background. This was 2008 too. Yeah. Yeah. But this scene was good too. The scene where Michael kills Snoop.
0: Yeah. That oh. was great. Cause you're like, you think that Mike is going to get killed, but then he kind of switches it around on her. He's but, like, you,
1: but you saw earlier in the episode, he, he's smart how he figured it out. When Snoop told him not to bring his gun, he knew something was up Yeah. and he sees her setting up at that spot or whatever. It's like, yeah, they're trying to get me. Okay. I'm gonna bring a gun anyway. Yeah. That was crazy. Even Snoop had to commend him for his brains, like, how you know? And Snoop taking that that quote, the epigraph of the episode, deserve, got nothing to do with it. I'm unforgiving. It was his time, right? That's Mm -hmm. what he said. Just his time. Yeah. But then he pulls out the gun on her, and she don't even pull out a gun on him at all. She probably didn't have one.
0: Yeah. She wasn't thinking that was going to happen. She wasn't thinking
1: that was going to happen, nah, but she takes her death gracefully. I think Snoop, for her, death is just reality, really. If it's her time, fuck it. She's not going to try to stop it. Yeah. All she wants to do is like how my hair look Mike.
0: Yeah, and I think that that kind of goes to the lyrics of the song, right? She's uh broke up with my girl last night, so I went to the club, put a fr- put on a fresh white suit and a, min- a mini coupe sitting on Dubs. Mm-hmm. I'm just looking for somebody to talk to and show me some love. If you know what I mean. Yeah. And and I feel like that's what Snoop, you know, even after she knew she was played, she was like you know how my hair look? How oh, my yeah.
1: hair look? Yeah, she really yeah. humanizes her a little bit. Yeah, yeah. As a humanizes her as a her. Yeah. Because this whole season, I, the whole time she was on the wire, I didn't think of I didn't think of Snoop as a woman.
0: Yeah, I didn't even know she like. I, I mean,
1: I knew it was a woman when I looked at the credits, but was like I can't think of you as a woman because how Butch and Tom boyish you are. Yeah. Like even even the clothing was a sign at the times so back then, like an oversized maternity T shirt with some great big jeans and some Timberland boots on.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy, but um, yeah, We then we have the, I thought I would, you know, as we, as we close up here, use the, the, the song that they use for the closing credits by, by Blake Lay, The Fall, which is just that kind of bass, that bass, uh, yeah, just an instrumental.
1: It is, but they played at every, every, every ending credits for The Wire since the episode, the first episode to the last one, they played, they use it there.
0: Yeah, it's very like somber, kind of It is somber, sounding. yeah
1: somber no matter what has occurred within the episode whether whether something good happened or something bad happened that's the one constant
0: yeah and um but I think that's kind of like the show right in essence it's it's the show doesn't sugarcoat anything I mean these are things that they're trying to you know uncover um you know way down in the hole right in a real
1: in a realistic manner yeah so I mean the characters may be fictional or based off somebody who's real but the stories for the most part are real and still going on today like baltimore is still a, still a fucked up city
0: yeah it's it's i mean there, there, there's a lot of great things about it i mean baltimore i think has a lot of soul but there's... Oh, no doubt
1: no doubt they got it's got some plenty of good parts to it but the portrayals the rundown the ghetto the violence on the, that was portrayed on the wire even over 10 years ago a lot of that still rings true today yeah and even crooked politicians like that um like that one lady was mayor who tried to use like children's books to to funnel money or whatever yeah yeah i'm like okay and people think the wire is not true
0: yeah no i think it was pretty accurate and you know david simon was a reporter for the sun baltimore sun so Mm -hmm. i think he knows that he brings a lot of experience into the writing with ed burns and
1: and even the newspaper and even the fictional version of the Baltimore sun it's like the people in there it's like all based on people he knew in fact he had a cameo in one of those scenes too yeah. Yeah, as a reporter, just like he had as a reporter during season two.
0: Right. Yeah, I was gonna say that. I noticed. I was like, "Damn, that's David Simon in the, at the, at the, the when the reporters swarm in." You know. Yeah. On Sabaka, yeah, it's like yeah. A,
1: it's a Hitchcockian cameo. Yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> but uh, hey, man, this was great. This was fun. Yeah, I'm sorry we lost Joey, but uh, he too. definitely had a lot of great input. Me and too, me too. Um, he
1: definitely is always good good input on shit like this.
0: Yeah, we'll, we'll have to get him on again. But, we, uh, will.
1: we will. I'll, t- I'll talk to him.
0: Yeah. Well, thanks for doing this, man. Thank you, Andrew. All right, man. Take care. You too, bro. Bye. This podcast is available on my YouTube channel, Tunes Reviews. It's also available on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and other major podcast distributors as well. So if you don't mind, please leave me some feedback. I'd really appreciate that. If you'd like to connect with me on social media, I'm on Facebook, Twitter. My Twitter handle is at RoadTunesRevs. I'm on Instagram, and I'm also on the Untapped app. My username is BrewTuned. This is Andrew signing off. Cheers.